Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast. <laughs> the Weekly Stuff. With Jonathan Lack. And Sean Chapman. If it weren't for the fact that this is one week late, it would be weekly. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, that's what not being weekly means, is that it doesn't come out every week. It's a weird scenario. So last week, Sean, you had you lost your voice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I lost my voice over the weekend. And we were fully ready to record a podcast. It's just, if, we, if I'm the only one talking, you just have to like... Do sign language or something. Yeah, which doesn't work that well for an audio podcast. No. Like, we tried it once, but it just didn't play too well. Right. Yeah, we've had, like, a third person sitting in on a lot of these, but they're yeah. deaf and mute, and yeah. yeah it's, it's really weird. Yeah. So anyway, yes. Uh, planned on doing one last week. Didn't happen. And then this week, I planned... We were going to do it earlier in the week, and then it became giant shitstorm of busyness. Yeah. So, school stuff, and life stuff, and uh, yeah. no sleep yeah. stuff. So, Yeah. In any I case. developed a bizarre mutation. I, I shoot lasers out of my eyes. Luckily, it's voluntary, unlike Cyclops. But How have you been, Sean? I've been pretty good shooting lasers out of my eyes. You know, like, yeah, we're... Been, you know, mostly doing that and playing some watchdogs, I guess, is how I've been spending my time. Okay, sounds good. Um, yes, so today, obviously, busy show. We're catching up on about two weeks' worth of news items. As always, it's not every bit of news from all forms of media, just ones we think are interesting and pertain to things we've talked about before. So we're going to talk about some superhero movie stuff and some video game stuff, a um, bunch of that kind of th- stuff. But then at the same time, we've got a couple of different topics uh, for the kind of last half of the show. Yeah. We want to talk a little bit about E3. It's coming up soon. What are our predictions? What do we want to see? What's going on with that? Yep. Talk a little bit about that. Then we've got two video games to talk about. First one to talk about just a little bit, which is Mario Kart 8, um, big release for the Wii U. I've got that game played a bunch of it, want to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to talk about Watch Dogs, and I think this will probably be our only major discussion of Watch Dogs, even probably. though it might come up again, but... Yeah, neither of us have finished the campaign, I'm very close to being done, Sean yeah, but, isn't... But both of us are far enough into the campaign that we know that we don't need to finish the campaign to, yes. to judge the quality of the game. No, we. this is just not that kind of game, and maybe that tells you a little bit about our opinion of it, yeah. but we'll get to that later. Uh, and then in, at the end, we'll talk about X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, big superhero movie came out about two weeks ago. Um, you've already heard my thoughts. My review is online. That's spoiler-free. This will be one of our spoilery discussions. It won't be as long or in-depth as a lot of them, just because um, I don't think there's as much to talk about with this movie. Yeah, it's, and it's been a while since both right. of us saw it. So. And, you know, it's not The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's not a, I, you know, yeah, it's, a piece of shit yeah, or anything. It's not, like, the greatest movie ever, and it's not the worst movie ever. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really liked it, but but even then I feel like I can sum up my thoughts on it pretty quick. So, in any case, we'll talk about all of those things and more. So, busy podcast. Sean, you want to jump right into it? Yes. Okay. Let's let's get into it. We're starting with, you know, the shit up to the chest level. Yeah, we're starting with the real bombshell, the thing I've been wanting to talk about since it happened. This will be the angriest we get on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. So... We've been talking a lot since it was announced way too early that they're making a Batman vs. Superman movie, yeah. a Batman-Superman crossover film, and of course, it's been really annoying since that was announced because all of the non-news that has happened about it that people yeah. conflate into whatever. But we finally have a piece of semi-interesting news, which is that they've announced the title for the film, the yes. title that I am fairly confident will not actually be on the movie when it comes out two years from now. Nah, it's gonna... It's, it's gonna be there? Okay. It's totally... There's no fucking way that they're changing it if this is what they came up with. So, Sean, do you want to give the listeners the title of the Batman-Superman yes. movie? Okay. So, the title is... Batman v. Superman. Dawn of Justice. 
It sounds even worse when you say it out loud. Yeah. And so, please note, I said Batman v Superman. I said that instead of Batman versus Superman because that is what the title is. It is like a law case. It is a V, not VS. So, so now, it's not a Godzilla movie. It's it's a V movie. It's so, Marbury v. v. Madison, but with Batman and Superman. So I think we know the plot of this movie now, which is that after a lot of the destruction in New York, Batman is going to sue Superman in the Supreme Court. And this yeah, because, will be... because, because Batman trademarked any sort of like something man superhero name. Yes. And and because we know in this universe Batman somehow was a superhero first, even though Superman's the first superhero and everybody knows that. That's I think I assume that's what the plot of the movie is going to be. Yes. So it'll all be about Supreme Court deliberations. You know, Anthony Scalia will make a cameo appearance. Yeah, yeah. I mean I I hear they've got like a very intellectual, very interesting sort of legal yes. plot that they're developing. Lex Luthor is basically it's a young Lex Luthor, he's an intern for the Supreme yeah. Court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lois Lane is covering the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's going to be really interesting. I, th- I think it's an interesting direction to take superhero movies in general. Yeah, we we haven't seen sort some... of a law drama, you know. Exactly. Like if it was me, I would wait to do that with Daredevil because he's a lawyer, or She-Hulk because she's a lawyer. But right. No, Batman and Superman. So let's. Yeah. This is the. I don't worst... think there's anything more to talk about. I think they had thrown around a lot of like awful rumored titles. I'm sure most of them weren't things Warner Brothers was actually looking at, but we'd heard things like, you know, Man of Steel, Dark of Night, and all these other bad <laughs> titles. And I think of all the terrible titles they could have chosen for this movie, they somehow found the worst one. It's yeah. just this perfect amalgamation of shit. Where not only do you have the lazy Batman versus Superman, but they wrote it as Batman v Superman. Yeah, it's like they fucked up, like they picked a bad title. Like Batman versus Superman already is a bad title. And like, and it's something that they had been referring to the movie as Batman versus Superman since the announcement at Comic Con. I remember when we talked about it. Then you didn't believe that that would be the title on the movie. And of course I, not. I didn't really believe it, but I remember like asserting that it would be the title of the movie, even though I was like, no, they're going to they're obviously going to call it something else. Like it'll probably be Man of Steel two with like some subtitle that alludes to Batman. Was kind of my thought on what the title actually would be. No, so they did actually go with a Batman vs. Superman title, but they fucked that up. They even fucked that up and because they, they didn't put verses. They put V, which is just like, no, that's not how you do those movies. I've seen enough fucking Godzilla movies to know it's VS, it's verses. Yes, so they fucked that up, but again, amalgamation of shit. It's that which is bad enough, and it's got the worst subtitle, Dawn of Justice. Justice. Which just sounds like it sounds a like a, like a video game spinoff or like a bad online like spinoff comic that DC would put out or something. You know, and here's the thing: so titles are supposed to be enticing, right, yeah. Sean? They're exactly. Supposed to, yes. Supposed to make you excited for the movie. When I hear Dawn of Justice, that sounds like a threat for a <laughs> bad movie, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's just like it feels like we are going to make the same mistake everyone has made with like the the movie franchise shit which we're going to turn this movie into not a movie but like a prequel to the next big movie that's going to come down the line with this Justice League because you know it's Dawn of Justice they might as well just call it Dawn of the Justice League it would be like calling Iron Man 2 Iron Man pre-Avengers stuff yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's like we need to move all the pieces into place in order to have the situation we need for the beginning of the Justice League movie. The but movie. And my question is still, 
who do they have left to introduce? Everyone's in the Dawn of Justice movie. Yeah. So how is this? How is this not going to be a Justice League movie? Just because they don't call themselves the Justice League, the Avengers were still an Avengers movie, even though they don't yeah. call themselves the Avengers. Yeah, like I don't, I, I, I have no idea how what in that movie how they're going to reconcile introducing all these different characters because again, yeah. it's a new Batman also, so it's like they need to establish this Batman and what this Batman is like and what his sort of status quo is, where he's coming from. It's like they have a huge task on their plate just to manage this movie without even bothering to try to set up anything Justice League related. But And it's weird, you know, I think we've had a number of superhero movies already this year with between Captain America the Winter Soldier and X-Men Days of Future Past of films where I think if you would have told me going in, you know, how much stuff was going to be in there, I would have said, I don't know how that movie would work. And I yeah. think both of them work, for me, rather spectacularly. Um, and that's pretty interesting. So that would give me faith if it weren't for the fact that I just don't think DC has shown that same zeal for these films. Like, slowly, yeah. I think the X-Men series has gotten to a point where they've accepted the comic bookiness of it, and they've gotten much better at servicing the cast and whatnot. But, you know, I just think DC, I think they've made very, very... Christopher Nolan has made very, very good movies. Yeah. But I just don't know if they're set to make a larger universe, you know? Yeah, and it's something that's like the Captain America 2 and X-Men Days of Future Past do have a lot of stuff and a lot of characters to manage, but they do it well because it's all self-contained and they understand where the focus is and right. they put the focus on the right characters at the right time. But if you have... Like, if you're introducing Wonder Woman and Cyborg in characters that, like... Like, what the fuck is the plot of the movie going to be that, like, how are they going to manage to find a plot that naturally has those characters be introduced into the story and also have the main focus be on Batman and Superman? But then you also can't just say, because that's another shitty thing about the title, is even having Batman versus Superman, because they're both hero characters. And you know them. that's not going to be, what, like, they're going to fight once in the movie, because that is the rule of superhero crossovers, is that they always fight once. If, like, no matter what happens, they have to. But then they always team up. They always get over it and then go fight the villain. So it's like Batman v Superman, but it's going to have a villain. So it's like, it's going to, so you have to, you have like your two main characters and your villain and this whole suite of side characters that actually have like nothing to do with Batman or Superman, but you have to find some way to introduce them anyways. My worry is that what if it's going to be something like Amazing Spider-Man 2 where they take Lex Luthor and just make him the center point. Like he brings Batman in, then he brings Wonder Woman in, then he brings Cyborg in because he's mad at Superman. He just... You know, they make him like this lightning rod, and they yeah. just make it super... Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, is it going to be Days of Future Past, or is it going to be Amazing Spider-Man 2? It's gonna, it's, I mean, I think it's going to be Amazing Spider-Man 2. I don't think it's going to get near that level of shit. Well, yeah, I just... think who knows, like, but in terms of the style of how, yeah. of how they managed to handle it, I don't think... Like, I don't think they, it would be... Like, it would, it's probably theoretically possible, but I think it's it would be so difficult to do it naturally. It's like, I have no idea, like, yeah, what I don't the know. script for that movie would be. I, you know, at a baseline. Like, at least with Amazing Spider-Man 2, like, they, there could have been a movie made out of those pieces that wouldn't have been fucking crazy. With this, I don't even know, like, yeah. what, what you do. But, I mean, I, you know, I would have said that before Days of Future Past also. Then I saw the movie, Maybe. and it was wonderfully coherent to me. I don't but... know. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that about Days of Future Past, because it's like, you already know... All the major players in that, yeah. like they've been a true, introduced beforehand. But it's like it's a, it is like a double sequel. It's a sequel okay. to like two different movies, basically. Right. Well, anyway, uh, it's it's weird, and I, you know, the one thing this movie still has going for it is it's got fairly talented people working on it all around. People who have proven that they can work in this genre well. Um, Although for we'll me, see. that's not entirely okay. the case. Yeah. But we'll see. I, you know. 
I want to. I want to be excited for some things in this movie. I want to see Ben Affleck's Batman. Sure. But they keep announcing things that just makes me feel like I don't want to see it. Yeah, it's just like I don't. And this I'm is a, so. You shouldn't ju- judge a movie by its title, but that is a bad title. That is, it's such a bad title, and it sucks. like it doesn't need to be. There are like a billion different titles that you could do. It doesn't have to be shit. Hey, I've got an idea. Yeah, world's finest. Yeah, I know, right? Like, there's already a name for. And I get that you want Batman and Superman to be in the title, but at least world's finest is a except, better subtitle. Except here's the thing: I think their their idea of wanting Batman and Superman in the, sub- in the title is a little weird from DC and Warner Brothers right now because the last time they made one of these movies and put the hero's name in the title was Batman Begins. Yeah, they, sure. they really went away from that. Dark Knight, Man of Steel. Yeah, they, but I mean, Dark Knight is identifiably Batman. Man of Steel is definitely identifiably Superman. Like, everyone yes. knows that nickname is associated okay. with him. But I don't think, like, anybody has any idea what World's Finest means unless you're Fair in enough. comics. Yeah. So it's like I, like, I totally sympathize with the idea that you want Batman and Superman's names in the title. Like, I wouldn't do it personally, but if you want, like, that's why you want people in the theaters is because, oh my god, Batman and Superman are both in a movie together. Like, guess what? You can have the title be Superman and Batman. World's Finest. Done. Yeah. It's better than your bullshit Dawn of Justice. I want just straight up Superman meets Batman. Sure, yeah. That really like cheesy like you know. Yeah, it's fun. It's like in some age. like Scooby Doo episode yeah. from the sixties where like Don Knotts guest stars. Or Scooby Doo meets the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, exactly. Which was a thing. Yeah, no, like that was like, a whole like series of cartoons where Scooby Doo and, and Shaggy meet random animated people, like Don Knotts. Yeah, that's how I know who Don Knotts is. Is from those cartoons. I know Don Knotts from a Family Guy joke. Sure. <laughs> I think mine's better. Okay. No. Yes. Definitely. Scooby-Doo is better than Family Guy. Yeah. So anyway, um, any more to say on Superman v. Bat- no, Batman v. v. Superman. And that's, that's of- the other thing. It's a fucking Superman movie sequel, ostensibly. Like, it's supposed to be Man of Steel 2. That is, like, the title it should have had when the movie was originally conceived. Is just Man of Steel 2, and then they fucked with it. Superman doesn't even get the top billing in his own fucking sequel. How fucked up is that? Well, Sean, as you I know... I feel like that I want to see some skit where it's like, like, have Ben Affleck, and what's the dude who plays Superman now? Uh, Henry Cavill. Yeah, and have them together and do, like, a Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck routine where it's like they're arguing over top billing. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, we shall see. Yeah. In two fucking years. That's the other thing. Everybody, we know the title. I don't want to hear another goddamn word about this movie until there's a trailer one and a half years from now. Sure. And then after that, not for another six months. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. It's not coming out for two years. Do you think that they're going to get the guys who make the Ace Attorney games to make a Batman v Superman video game adaptation? Because they can do the whole law thing, you know? I think that'd be good. Yeah, that's what I would do. That would be really good. Yeah. Alright, let's move on, Sean. Okay. Let's. I'm going to move things around a little bit here. Let's sure. stick with superhero movie stuff, okay? Alright. So, let's talk about the saga of Ant-Man. And, and what a saga it is. So, I think we need to set down some history here. Sure. Alright. Before Marvel ever became a movie studio, mm-hmm. there's this guy named Edgar Wright, who you may know from directing Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, those movies. And the, the whole Cornetto trilogy, and Scott Pilgrim, and Spaced, the TV series from the 90s. So, Edgar Wright, very talented director, and he, to the chagrin of all of Hollywood, from the early 2000s, wanted to make an Ant-Man movie. And he was the only person in the world yeah. who wanted to make an Ant-Man movie. It's true. Yes, nobody, nobody wants to make an Ant-Man movie, because... It's Ant-Man. And no one would take him seriously. Not the studios, not Marvel, not anyone. And eventually Edgar... Not even me. Yeah. And eventually Edgar Wright started making a lot of good movies. Yeah. And people were like, well, maybe he's got something here. 
And then finally, Marvel became its own studio in 2006, made Iron Man in 2008. And around the time of Iron Man, they realized, you know, we've got our own studio, we can start experimenting. And you're right. Yeah. Fuck it. Again, and I, I want to stress, Marvel did not make Ant-Man because they wanted to make Ant-Man. Marvel yeah. decided to make Ant-Man because there was this talented filmmaker out there who inexplicably had already written, without getting paid a dime, an Ant-Man movie and shot a pre-visualization role all by himself. This guy really wanted to direct Ant-Man. Yeah. So, over the course of Marvel Studios' history, from 2008 to 2014, Edgar Wright kind of worked on this with his writing partner Joe Cornish. They'd been working on Ant-Man for a long time. They were going to shoot it, actually, for part of Phase 2, but Edgar Wright wanted to go make The World's End, the third entry in the Cornetto trilogy. Marvel, so committed to letting Edgar Wright do this movie for them, they let him delay Ant-Man. He went and made The World's End with Simon Pegg and everybody, came back, was gearing up for pre-production on Ant-Man yeah, like this year. Yeah, cast everybody and everything. Yes, Paul Rudd is in it, Michael Douglas is in it, Evangeline Lilly is in it, a bunch of people in it. Um, it's all written, ready to go, was going to shoot um, one month from now. It was going to come out as the first film of Phase 3. So clearly, uh, some creative commitment to this film. Yeah. And uh, it was about to come out, and then about a week and a half ago, we heard that Edgar Wright was no longer directing Ant-Man. He and Joe Cornish, the writer had walked off the project. They said it was an amicable split. That means there was some tension going on. And it is baffling because, again, this movie would not be going into production if it were not for Edgar Wright wanting to make this movie for about 13 years now. Yeah. I mean, at that point, if you're Marvel and he walks off, why are you still making Ant-Man? That's my question. I... I don't know. It's you know, they should, but they should now put on two because you know Marvel has all their like adjectives for the characters like the Amazing Spider-Man, you know yeah. the Incredible Hulk, and then for a long time Ant-Man's adjective was the irredeemable Ant-Man because Ant-Man's an asshole, and so they should totally slap that adjective back onto this movie because it's really fitting now. <laughs> yes, I mean this is this is just weird. I think the consensus I saw on Twitter, it's certainly what I felt. It's what a lot of people were saying was that, you know, I love the Marvel movies, but Ant-Man was a case where. I was not looking forward to it because I wanted to see the Ant-Man movie. Yeah, I was curious. I wanted to see it because I wanted to see an Edgar Wright movie. I don't yes. give a shit about Ant-Man. Yeah, Edgar Wright is one of my favorite working directors. I wanted to see his take on it. And, you know, obviously if he had been committed to this project for over a decade, he had something good yeah. to show us, I feel like. And the reports are, none of this has been confirmed, but it sounds, um, it's been, you know, sourced in a lot of places that basically Kevin Feig, the head of Marvel... Um, wanted some rewrites on Ant-Man, wanted to change some things, and they were just changes that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish were not comfortable with, and so finally they split. Um, and I just think they're in a weird scenario now, because they are, they are as, as from all the reports they're showing, are really scrambling to try to get someone else to direct this. Yeah, like I feel like every single day there's like a list of three like rumored yeah. nonsense like directors. They basically, they, they first apparently, and they, this is confirmed because Adam McKay said it, they yeah. offered it to Adam McKay, who is the director of... A lot of uh, Will Ferrell comedies, he's done the Anchorman movies, Talladega Nights, the other guys. Talented comedy director. That seemed like the only viable option I'd seen so far, because he is... Because we know... I mean, that's all I need for a Marvel director, someone who has talent and vision. He has that. We've never seen him do an action movie, but we hadn't seen the Russo brothers do that. They did Captain America. Also, I don't know how much of an action movie Ant-Man even would be, because his power is he gets really small and talks to ants. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. That seemed like a decent choice, but Adam McKay decided not to do it. They've also been talking to um, a bunch of weird names. Like, they've been talking to Rawson Marshall Thurber, who directed Dodgeball 15 years ago. And, you know, Dodgeball is a funny movie. I don't think you cast that, you hire that guy to do a Marvel movie. Um, And I I forget all the other names. 
there's just a bunch of names. Most of them are not people I would want to hire for this job. And again, the the difference between I think and then the you know the argument to that always would be well we wouldn't have thought you know the Russo brothers could do Captain America. The difference is that I do have an awful lot of evidence that the Russo brothers are good directors. It was from TV. Yeah, but and I, then also the Russo brothers wanted to do Captain America. Right. They were kind of like in the Edgar Wright situation. It's like they wanted to do the movie. Right. It wasn't just Mike Marvel going to them. Yeah. So it's weird right now. It's like it looks like they're just basically looking at comedy directors. That's slightly weird to me. But more than anything else, I wonder if they're going to be, be able to find someone to do this, certainly in a short amount of time, because the problem I would think is that what director is going to want to come in and make somebody else's movie? Because Edgar Wright's been working on this for so long. The script is completely his and Joe Cornish's. All of the pre-production is his. You're basically asking someone else to come in and make somebody else's movie, and I don't think most directors worth hiring are going to want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? So it's a really weird situation. Yeah, like I just don't. It, it's just it's really kind of disappointing because I, like I said, like I don't give a fuck about Ant Man. I barely know anything about Ant Man. I think his first comic, and it's not even like it's Hank Pym Ant Man because this is, I think this script is about Scott Lang Ant Man. It's like the only Ant Man comic I've ever read that I liked was his like original one, and that's it. But I really like all every Edgar Wright movie I've seen, and so I wanted to see him do a fucking movie, Ant Man or not, whatever. Yeah. But it would be interesting to have like that like sort of Edgar Wright style and tone be a part of the Marvel cinematic thing. It's strange. Uh, the other name that surfaced today, um, again, no con confirmations on any of this, but apparently one of the other directors they are talking to is Nicholas Stoller, who has directed a bunch of movies uh, that are really good. He directed Neighbors, which just came out. He did Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Into the Greek. He wrote, co-wrote the two new Muppets movies. He's a really talented guy. I could see him doing this movie absolutely he seems like he'd be on the right wavelength. But again, Nicholas Stoller is a is a director who writes his own movies and stuff. Would he want to come in and make someone else's movie? Yeah, who knows? Like, it makes you really curious what was, like, the change in the script yeah. that, that did it. And I just don't know why, if you're in Kevin Feig's scenario, you've been watching Edgar Wright work on this for ten years. Now you decide. I well, don't... like, and this is also, like, super unconfirmed, but I have heard rumors that... It was like some like D Disney execs that kind of wanted to get their fingers in the pie too and sort of yeah. like mess things around. So it's like who knows like where the script changes kind of came from. But it's like I want to know what it was. Like what is like the thing? Obviously we don't even know what the script is. But like what what is the one thing? Is it like some like ham fisted love interest or something that like threw in there or something? Yeah, I don't know. And and Edgar Wright on maybe his... they made Ant Man get really tall instead of really small and turned him into Giant Man. It's like because Giant Man has better powers. Who knows? But, you know, Edgar Wright did kind of slyly suggest something on his Twitter feed. He put out a picture of sad Buster Keaton holding a Cornetto. And yeah. the implication there is, if you don't know the story of Buster Keaton, after he made all of his great films, he signed a contract with MGM, and it utterly destroyed him because the studio was interfering in all of his stuff, and he became an alcoholic and lost his family and all this stuff. And, of course, the implication of putting that picture up is that Working with a studio has been a horrible experience, so it's it's it sounds like maybe this has been brewing for a while. Yeah, and it's too bad. Um, it's just it's a weird scenario all around, and I just I guess my question to Marvel would be, you know, other than you've already poured some money into it, what's your investment in this right now? Like, yeah. you don't need to have Ant Man out there. This is this is like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's something you're doing for creative reasons, not financial. You know, you're not expecting Ant Man to make a hundred million dollars day one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like I don't think. 
like Ant-Man as a character, like maybe they would do something really phenomenal with it, but it's like he doesn't like automatically have this sort of like potential to be a really interesting part of the Avengers, even though I know Ant-Man and Hank Pym is like a storied member of the Avengers. He's not like an interesting component of the Avengers because his powers suck. Like his powers are just awful. Like who gives a shit about a dude who can turn small and talk to ants or a dude who can get really big is like a more effective power, but it's not an interesting one either. So yeah. And the story for this movie sounded like an interesting approach to that, where they had two, they had Hank Pym and Scott yeah. Lang, and it would be about an old Hank Pym getting his technology stolen by young Scott Lang. That sounds like an interesting dynamic you yeah. could make a movie out of, and maybe they just, they want to salvage that story they have, but at the very least, I would say, push it off, put something else in that August release slot you've got going. You know, I give Robert Downey Jr. another hundred million and do Iron Man 4, whatever, you know. Like just, you can just do, put Robert Downey Jr. in a room with an Iron Man suit, and... and he can just just film it and you'll make an Iron Man movie. And you know, I I would think where they might want to go first with this, if they could, it's not possible because he's directing another movie right now. I just go get John Favreau again or something. It's <laughs> sure. someone you know. I mean, I just that might be the best solution at this point. But John Favreau is directing a Jungle Book movie, some some bad Disney movie. Like Disney sure. has, you know, how Maleficent just came out. Yeah, Disney is making about one billion of those live action animated movies. They've got, I know they've, and they've got a bunch of good directors just stuck doing those they've got Alice in Wonderland 2 they've got Jan Fa- John Favreau doing The Jungle Book they've got Kenneth Branagh doing Cinderella they just announced um, Bill Condon doing um, a live action Beauty and the Beast I just I don't yeah. want to see I don't want to see a live action Jungle Book that idea no that's nobody yeah. needs like live action Blue or live action Shere Khan like that's just nonsense yeah there was a live action Jungle Book movie back in the 90s it was shit yeah so there you Remember go that no, I never Ooh, saw okay. it. I they showed it to it us existed, in school. Yeah. But I'm sure it was awful. Because all the animals were just animals. And at that point, it's like, well, what the hell's the point? Yeah. They're just like silent animals, and Mogi's just walking around bitching about them. It's, you know, who cares? There's no bare necessities. <laughs> yeah. Just just put the Jungle Book back in theaters. It's a good it's movie. Really Marvel should just, yeah, Marvel should just make the Jungle Book a part of their cinematic universe and put it where Iron Ant-Man would be. Baloo can be the new member of the Avengers. Exactly. And Shere Khan can be the villain in Avengers 3. Can we get to Avengers Age of Sheer Calm? We could make it like the Tailspin TV series where Baloo is like a freelance. <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah, he's a fighter pilot guy, like transports cargo like a smuggler. That was a good show. It was sure. a fun show. Sheer Khan was like a businessman. Yeah. It was great. All right, we got into really niche off topic stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, Ant Man, it's all fucked right now. Yeah, it's, who knows what's going to happen with that movie? I have to imagine, I mean, they're not going to be ready to shoot this in a month. Yeah, I don't, don't, probably not. Yeah. So, who knows? And I feel like if they can't shoot it now, they've got really high-profile actors. They're going to have to drop out just for scheduling stuff. Paul mm-hmm. Rudd does not have infinite time. He yeah. is a in-demand guy. Um, Michael Douglas probably does. He, he works sure. all the time, and he somehow... I think Michael Douglas probably has clones. He's in so many movies. I imagine so. I think that's a part of the Ant-Man script, actually. I think okay. that's what they put in that they didn't like, is that Michael Douglas has clones, and Hank yeah. Pym has clones, so... You know, Michael Douglas did that movie with Steven Soderbergh about Liberace. Have Steven Soderbergh make Ant-Man. Ant- Ant- the sure. weirdest Marvel movie. Yeah, there we go. Done. <laughs> I would like that. Okay. In any case, more Marvel news. All right. They have cast Thanos. Yes. All right. It it's, sounds like it's voice only, but it's Josh Brolin has been confirmed to play Thanos. This is a very long-term game kind of thing. What I've heard is that he is... 
a part of Guardians of the Galaxy, but he is yeah. not the main, you know, villain. And so, obviously he's not the villain of Avengers 2 because no. it's called Age of Ultron. Right. So I don't think he appears in Avengers 2 at all, but he will be the... It sounds like they are building to him. They're, yeah, for people who don't know, Thanos was the big purple dude at, like, the post credit scene in Avengers. Mm-hmm. So they're building up to Thanos, and it sounds like they've just... They've gotten Josh Brolin locked down, so they'll have him for the future, and that's a good choice. He's a good actor. Yeah. And what will be great... And this is kind of maybe skipping a little bit ahead, but it's so they're, because they're making the Justice League movie, and if I, who knows what they're actually going to do, but if I was making a Justice League movie, there's one DC villain that I would put in it, and it's a guy named Darkseid, and we've got Thanos, who basically, Darkseid and Thanos are basically just the same character, and the next X-Men movie is going to be Apocalypse, who is basically that exact character, tall, broad blue, super powerful demigod guy. So if all those movies come out with, like, in the same window, where it's like we have fucking Darkseid and Thanos and Apocalypse all being, like, the villain superhero movies, that would be hilarious to me. It's like, how did you... Because at least those characters are kind of spread out, and when they appear in the comics, they didn't just all dump them at the same time. Apocalypse is gonna come out first. They're ahead of the game on that. That's coming out in 2016. That'll come out the same summer as Batman v Superman. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And then Avengers three is a ways off, so but I do that, like that would be great because then everyone will think that like Dark Side and Thanos are just ripping off Apocalypse, even though I think Apocalypse is the last one out of all yes. of those chronologically in the comics. Oh well, anyway, that's one piece of news. And then they have announced, uh, well, they haven't announced this, but the reports are that Marvel has finally uh, nailed down someone to direct their mythical Doctor Strange movie that has been in the works forever. Apparently, Kevin Feige really really wants to uh, make that film. So well, Doctor Strange movie could be fucking awesome if they do it right. So. Yeah. So they've they've hired a guy, well they've the reports are they've hired this guy, Scott Derrickson. I have never seen one of his films. He's made a bunch he's made some horror films. He's made The Exorcism of Emily Rose, he made Sinister. He's got a movie coming out this year called Deliver Us from Evil. Um, I'm not really familiar with his work. I know Sinister. That horror film was highly praised. People liked that a yeah. lot. Um, but I think that sounds like an interesting choice. Yeah, an idea of a horror director for Doctor Strange makes a lot of sense to me, because Doctor Strange, and, like, depending on what comics you read, but it, especially his original Steve Ditko stuff was, like, all really surreal and very strange, and so, I mean, it's named Doctor Strange. I think he came, he's from Strange Tales, so. Yeah. And reportedly, who they have cast for Doctor Strange is Jared Leto, which, that's one of those casting choices that is just weird enough to work. Sure. Can you bring Maybe. up a picture of Jared Leto real quick? Because sure. I feel like there is like a billion different. He looks actors. different in every photo. Yeah, he's in. Uh, he doesn't. Because I feel like like maybe if you if you cut his hair and made him look right, he would look like Doctor Strange. But Doctor Strange is a character that I feel like every like other male actor in Hollywood looks exactly like Doctor Strange to me in a weird yeah. way. Well, Jared Leto is just he's a he's a talented performer. He's kind of a weird performer. He's. I think he's the band leader of 30 Seconds to Mars. That's most of what he does these days. But, you know, he just won an Oscar for uh, Dallas Buyers Club, which he is good in. I thought that performance was kind of overrated, but... If only they could just resurrect Vincent Price in his prime. Like, Vincent Price would have been the perfect Doctor yeah. Strange. But... Well, here's the thing, though, Sean. So you're saying, you know, he doesn't look right for it now. He did, in Dallas Buyers Club, he did play a transgendered woman. So he can do physical okay, sure. transformations. He is... Okay, but I, but I thought that at the end of that was going to be, so that means he can play Doctor Strange. It's like, I don't think you know who Doctor Strange is. He's not a my, transgender woman. My point is that he is good under makeup on, and prosthetics, and, and you know he doesn't look like himself at all in Dallas Buyers Club, and I'm sure that might be part of it if they want you know a 
performance with some physical transformation to it. We shall see. Again, neither of those has been confirmed by Marvel, but they sound like, I mean, that's those are not reports people are, you know, denying or anything. Sure, yeah. It seems like weird rumors to just, like, yeah. come up with out of nowhere. Here's a real... This is not confirmed, though. Okay. Because I don't think Marvel would confirm this right now. But there's a rumor going around that... All right, back backstory a little bit. Fox is in the process right now of making their Fantastic oh, Four right, reboot yeah. film, directed by Josh Trank, starring a bunch of young pretty people. Um, and that's coming out in a couple of years. And Marvel is reportedly... Marvel Comics, that division, yeah. is reportedly planning on canceling all of their Fantastic Four comics lines. Yeah, and this, we stress that this is not anything that has been confirmed. Like no. This is people drawing inferences from like some vague tweets... And specifically, like, the Fantastic Four not being present on the cover of this big, like, Marvel 75th anniversary thing. Yeah. Which is weird, because anyone who knows anything about Marvel Comics, Fantastic Four number one is, like, the Marvel comic that created, like, what you think of, like, the modern Marvel age. Right. So, and and the reason that has been rumored for doing this is that they don't want Fox's movie... They, they don't want to give extra promotion or credence to Fox's film, because... You know, Marvel Studios, I think, would really like to have some of these characters. They were in the process of negotiating, I know, to get Doctor Doom and some of the other characters back. And I think those deals, those talks broke down. Um, Because Galactus would be a real good, like, villain or threat for a big Avengers movie or something like that. But, obviously, Fox has Galactus. So, yeah, that would be a really big fuck you. Yeah. More to comics fans than anyone else. Like, it would be a really, like, I don't... I'm not sure if it's like I don't believe it or I just don't want to believe it, but it's like fuck it, like this that can't that can't you be can't true. cancel. I mean, I know that Fantastic Four is not hugely popular, like even like comic books are not hugely popular, but Fantastic Four especially is not like a hugely selling book like Amazing Spider-Man. But it's the fucking Fantastic Four. Like you can't just you can't just cancel the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four have been like going since like 1961, man. Like you can't just stop that. That'd be super fucked up. Yeah. As, as much as I would like to see Marvel have the rights to Fantastic Four, at least a bunch of Fantastic Four characters for their movies, like, you can't. That'd be going too far. Yep. <laughs> a little weird. All right. Let's Although do... I did, I want to say, I did see a really, really funny image on online yesterday where, it, like, I clicked on a link and the link was like, Marvel concedes and puts Sue Storm into the 75th anniversary cover. I was like, just kind of casually, oh, that's interesting. It's like, I clicked on it. It was like, I thought it was going to be a link to an article. It was like, just a picture of the cover. I looked around. I was like, Sue Storm's not on there. And I was like, oh, invisible woman. <laughs> yeah. It really got me. It was just like, really, it was really fucking funny. So props to whoever the dude is who put that on Reddit because that was really fucking funny. That was fucking great. <laughs> All right, so let's do one more piece of movie news, Sean. Okay. All right. Um, Star Wars. Disney is planning on making a fuck ton of Star Wars movies. They are all in on Star Wars. And And they're doing the thing that everybody's doing now where they're like, Avengers made, oh my God, so much money. Uh, We should should do that with this thing too. Well, and, and here's the thing. They are, they're at a point where they are compiling so many immensely talented people for their Star Wars movies they're going to make me excited against my will. Sure. It's a weird thing. So they announced some more casting for Star Wars 7. They've added Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones and Lupita Nyong'o, recent Oscar winner for 12 Years a Slave, to the cast of Star Wars 7, meaning that, again, Star Wars 7 has nothing but ridiculously good actors in it. And That's it's probably going to be about intergalactic slavery, is my guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be sad. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, Twi'leks. It's really fucked up. Okay. 
All right. Well, anyway, so more good actors on that. But they've also this is this seems very proactive at this point. They are putting people together for their Star Wars spinoff movies, which are going to be coming out between the episodes. Yeah. And honestly, I given the people they're putting together for these, I might be even more interested in these if they are. These people, of like, have they confirmed what the movies? No, they have. Are they, in no way they have the done spin-offs. that. Yeah, they're just spinoffs. And if and here's the thing. If they're just Disney is making them do Han Solo prequel, that's terrible. Yeah, but exactly. if, it's, if it's if it's like I can make whatever fucking movie I want to make in the Star Wars universe, like set in this time period, that would be awesome. Yeah, nah, that's not what it's going to be. Well, we'll see. I think it's going to be. Nah, I don't think they're. They're. I don't think these guys would take these jobs if it was just you're making young Han Solo. I don't think anyone wants to do that. A big but, enough check will make anybody make a young Han Solo. Movie. Sure, but these are both guys who I think could get any job they want in Hollywood right now. So anyway, let's back up. They have hired for the first Star Wars spinoff movie Gareth Edwards, the director of Godzilla. Um, God, and he got this job like the day after Godzilla yeah. came out. Um, so he is in demand. He's attached, and Gary Whitta, who in film he wrote the script for the Book of Eli, but he's better known around these parts for writing the Walking Dead video game yeah, series. He's, he's, and he was like an old like writer, I think on EGM. He was an old writer on like some video game magazine I used to read forever ago. So, so it's really weird that he's like, oh, that guy's... Now fucking writing a Star Wars movie. That's and crazy. I think this is cool. That's a really, that's a good, yeah. smart writer. And that's a really fucking great director based on Godzilla. And hopefully that means Godzilla will be in the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, all I'm saying is that Gareth Edwards, I think, after what Godzilla did, he could have had Star Wars, he could have had Godzilla sequels, he probably could have gotten whatever job he wants. You know, I unless they have a really amazingly good idea for Han Solo prequel, I imagine this is something more interesting. Because it's... God, the story of how Godzilla became a member of the Jedi Council. Sure. I, yeah. And now I'm imagining him in the robe. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. Holding Sweet a lightsaber in his tiny arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, let's see. You have no idea how high his fucking midichlorian count is. It is through <laughs> the goddamn roof. Hopefully we will never hear the word midichlorian again in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Anyway, and they have also hired uh, Josh Trank to direct the second of the Star Wars spinoff movies, which means Josh Trank, as someone said on Twitter the other day, has insane job security at the moment because he's in the middle of directing a Fantastic Four movie mm-hmm. and he signed on to do a Star Wars movie. That's a lot of move. That's a lot of big movies. Yeah. For one guy to be having, so you know, they are they are hiring people who are talented and who I can easily see fitting into the Star Wars universe, and hopefully they get to do cool stuff. You know, I. It, it seems to me like they are putting their money where their mouth is. They are hiring. They're not just churning these out and getting, you know, company men to come in and do these movies. Mm-hmm. And that gives me some amount of faith because I think they very easily could have announced, you know, whatever, you know, live-action Disney directors they have. I don't know, the dude who did Maleficent or something to come in and do these. Or, you know, God forbidding the Tim Burton Star Wars movie or something. Oh, God. But you know Disney would do that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know Tim Burton is a talentless hack at this point, so he would do whatever. It's just yeah. So thank God we're not getting Tim Burton Star Wars. Although I, it would be great to see Johnny Depp play Wookie. <laughs> I would totally see that. I'd see that in a movie. All right, so that's all for movies. Okay. One bit of TV news. Okay, TV. The only TV we talk about yeah, exactly. on this it's show. Only I think they only make one TV show, right? It's yeah. just like nothing's on TV for most of the year. Doctor Who. Doctor Who? The return of Doctor Who for Series 8. For Series 34 overall. 34, yeah. With um, Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor. Kind of the 15th Doctor, but who cares? Yeah. He's the 12th Doctor. We got Clara coming back. We got Stephen Moffat coming back. Series 8 premiering this August. Boom. We know it. We know when to expect it. Sooner rather than later. I'm happy. Yeah. 
I'm excited to get to I, This podcast doesn't feel right When we don't get to talk about Dr. Yeah Dr. exactly It's like I still have not seen What his fucking costume is I've managed to go this long So Yes yeah, so don't It's like I, I'm, I have like an end date It's like The finish line is in sight Exactly So it's like I, it's, it's not just this eternal thing Of like I have to avoid Any like discussion of Doctor Who Anywhere Or I might end up seeing the costume And I don't want to Yes, so we don't have that long to wait. It's this August, and we're going to get 13 episodes straight through. Some of the speculation I've seen right now is that the finale will be the Christmas special. That 13 will be the Christmas special. Which would make sense. Um, But whatever. I'm just psyched. I just, I want to see the new Doctor. Uh, You know, it it sounds so much fun. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in how the show is going to be when it comes back. Yeah, me too. But other than that, there's really nothing to talk about. So yay, Doctor Who. Let's do a couple of pieces of video game news. All right. In video games, Jonathan, what is going on? Well, a couple of things. We've got some random stuff to talk about right here, but I just saw some... God, what was that? Okay. I don't know. Um, I'm, my bookmarks, I just hit the wrong bookmark. But let's go with this one. PS4. Yes, the PlayStation 4. A console you and I both own. Good, good console. And it apparently, as of 23rd of May, has already become profitable for Sony. Uh, CEO Kaz Hirai said at a corporate strategy meeting this week, this is from IGN, that the PS4 launch has been hugely successful. Uh, notes Sony needs to continue growing the install base, currently at around $7 million, but from a profitability perspective, PS4 is also already contributing profit on a hardware unit basis. That is pretty impressive considering the PS3 took about four years to do that. Yeah, yeah, like it's notorious for video game consoles that you sell each console at a loss, so like it takes a while for all that, like, you know, to re-recoup that and have enough of an install base that you're actually making a profit. So that's that's great that, you know... They're making some fucking money, so... Yeah, it's cool, and I mean, there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on with Sony right now in terms of success. Like, they even also talked about, I think it was on the same earnings call, they talked about how they are expecting uh, to make more off the PS4 than they did off the PS2, and that's not them saying the PS4 will, will sell more than the PS2. I don't think any video game console will ever do that again. It's yeah. just That's just an insane thing that, you know, weird aberration. Yeah. Um, but with the PS4 having all the online functionality and there being you know more services to buy into and whatnot, with fewer units they can make more off the PS4. So you know the the video game console is not dead; it is yeah. rather thriving at the moment. Yeah, so fuck you, all those people who for years have been putting out articles about how video games are dying and it's all mobile and social Facebook games. Yes, you go die in a fire because I hate those articles. People want games. Exactly, as the numbers bear it out. All right. Funny story, Sean. All right. Nintendo. Nintendo. That's enough. That's, that's the joke, right? Just Nintendo? Sure. No. Yeah. That's, All right. So, it's a joke I've been telling for years now. So Nintendo has um, a bunch of games coming out for the 3DS... They're supporting that very well. They basically have two games coming out for the Wii U at all throughout the year 2014. Yeah. One of them just came out. That's yeah, Mario, Kart 8. Mario Kart 8. The other one is Super Smash Bros. Wii U, which doesn't come out for a very long time. Yes. Not until December, winter. Um, and they have announced that in conjunction with Smash Bros. Wii U, Nintendo has revealed uh, that you can use your GameCube controllers on it. There is an adapter. What? GameCube controllers on a Nintendo console? Yes. I've never... So, what it is, is this little hub, it's got four GameCube ports, it plugs into your USB port on your Wii U, it actually plugs into both of your USB ports, it requires two, I think one of them is powered and one of them is probably just the connection, Sure. Um, because they are, but the Wii U only has USB 2, so that's a little problematic, but anyway, uh, and you plug your GameCube controllers right into there and you can use it to play Smash Bros for the Wii U, and uh, this is just funny to me because what it shows is that 
you know, Nintendo's last console that they had a regular functional controller for was the fucking GameCube. Yeah. Fucking 13 years ago now. And so now on the Wii U for their next big game, they have to release a fucking USB adapter so you can put your wired old controllers into it. Yeah, it's it's really weird to see the picture because if you remember back in the day, it's like you had these things called multi-taps that for like some consoles like the PS2 that you could plug in to have like more than two controllers or whatever it plugged into the console. It's like, I haven't seen a fucking multi-tap in like 15 years and it's really weird. This is like, I mean, it's not the same functionality because it's not to have more controller ports. It's to have different controller ports. Right. But... It's so weird to see a picture of a modern console with a fucking multi-tap thing plugged into it. Just like, how did this happen? How have we gone back? It would be like seeing a fucking Xbox One with like a Game Shark cartridge just like snailed into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I just and what's super weird about this is that Nintendo does finally have a good controller for their system. It's just not the one they bundle in with it. Yeah. So they they have the Wii U Pro controller. I've been using it only for professional use, though. Yes. So people like us can't use it unfortunately <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, we need to buy a Wii U amateur controller yeah. so, and if you don't know what the Wii U Pro controller is it's just they took all the buttons from the gamepad distilled it into an Xbox 360 S controller and it's a great controller it's easily the best controller Nintendo has ever made it's comfortable it's light it's got utterly insane battery life like 80 hours I've never needed to charge it since I bought the damn thing nice I've been playing Mario Kart 8 with it it's awesome it works perfect for that game it's, it's a nice controller I, I like using it but it's not the pack-in controller. Yeah. And there's the annoyance that when you turn on your Wii U, you can't use it as the primary controller. The gamepad turns on also. And if I want to play, you know, a non-gamepad-enabled game, what I have to do is start the game, and then I go into the menu, and then I have to turn off the gamepad screen so it doesn't die, because if the gamepad loses battery power, the, you can no longer yeah. use your Wii U. So... It's all back to with the original Wii. If in the original Wii, if you, you couldn't navigate the main user interface with the GameCube controller plugged in, so you had to use the fucking Wii remote every but, time you But here's the thing. You can absolutely navigate the main user interface with yeah, the Wii but, Pro controller, but, I'm just saying, but the GamePad like, still is... It's, it's even it's, weirder now. Yeah, it's like... But it's the same concept of, like, if you have these other controllers that... You can... I can use it perfectly fine on this console. You don't need to restrict it by being so... Oddly tied to like this really specific controller that you use, but yeah, yeah. I mean, does, 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 can you bring up that thing? Does it say, does it say how much the, uh, the controller thing costs? The adapter? They have not even announced when or how they're going to be selling it. Huh. This is specifically made for a tournament they're doing. Oh, um, yeah. But I mean, it, it, they, they have said they're going to be selling it, but no pricing or anything yeah, like because that. Because I'm curious because it's like. From my perspective, like, I wouldn't want to buy that thing because, oh, I have this great affection for the GameCube controller. I would do it because I have four fucking GameCube controllers just, like, lying around somewhere at my house. It would be way cheaper to buy that adapter for, like, 50 bucks than to buy four Wii U Pro controllers for, like, all my friends that we want to play Smash yeah. Brothers together. So it's like, I actually kind of like the idea. It's really weird and came the fuck out of nowhere... But I kind of like the idea of being able to buy an adapter that lets you use your older controllers on a newer console because it's like that would be really convenient instead of having to buy. It's like I want a new controller for me for single player, but it's like I'm having a bunch of people over. I don't want to, you know, because I've been thinking for a while about buying another DualShock 4 controller because I want one because there are situations in which I want to play two-player games with people, but it's like it costs 60 fucking dollars. Like I could either buy like Wolfenstein The New Order or I could buy a DualShock 4 controller, and it's like that that decision is not quite leaned far enough into the DualShock 4 range to go buy it. So it's like it'd be awesome if I could have some magic adapter that let me use like 360 controllers on PS4 or something. 
Yeah, it's weird. And, you know, it's just this thing where also I, I wonder, is there anything else you're going to be able to use those GameCube controllers on? Like, will they patch their Wii emulation mode so you can again use your GameCube controllers there? That would be worth getting that thing yeah, for. Yeah, I would guess but, that, that that would probably just happen anyway since they're, like, emulating the Wii OS level. Yeah. I think, I imagine, like... Like, I have no idea, but it seems to me like it would make more sense for that to just actually work instead of you having to program it in. Yeah, we'll see. It's weird. I just... And and will any other Wii U games, you know, work with it? Yeah. Will... I mean, I'm honestly wondering, can Nintendo make it to Smash Bros. Wii U with the Wii U still a thing? With Wii U still being relevant? Yeah. Like, it I mean, Mario Kart 8 did give it a nice little bump, you know, but... But here's the thing. We'll talk about this when we get to Mario Kart 8. Mario Kart 8 had phenomenal sales. Did 1.2 million in under a week. That's big. That is... Uh, and I think a near record like attach rate like almost everyone who has a Wii U got Mario Kart 8 yeah. it's incredible but not a lot of people have Wii U's mm-hmm. it's still going to be the lowest selling game in the series yeah yeah easily and you know it's it's just it's a weird thing they've got Mario Kart 8 and they have nothing until December when Smash Bros comes out yeah what do you do with that that's that's you can't have a system that has literally no support for half of a year yeah because like they don't have any third party stuff to like sustain yeah. it like all the big you know like the new Batman game is not going to be coming out on Wii U. You know, like like Watch Dogs is. isn't coming out on Wii U until much later. Yeah, and who knows if that game will ever actually materialize on Wii U because it's like they yeah. delayed that version like five times. Yeah, I kind of doubt it at this point. They've Activision is or Ubisoft, Ubisoft has canceled other pieces of DLC. Yeah. Activ or not? Why do I keep saying Activision? Warner Brothers canceled all the DLC for Arkham Origins. Yeah. It's yeah. And obviously, as you yeah. said, Arkham Knight is not coming out for Third party support is, like, falling drastically, so... They're releasing nothing for Virtual Console. They're experimenting with Game Boy Advance and GBA games. But, hey, here's a bright idea, Nintendo. Why don't you announce that you're bringing the entire fucking GameCube library to Virtual Console? That would make your adapter a lot more relevant. Yeah, that's, that is a very good point. That if, like, all of a sudden, you know, hey, if you want to play the best Super Smash Bros. game, Melee, on your fucking Wii U, now you can because we're going to release it on Virtual Console. I mean, it's just... It's like, I don't get that Nintendo is... Be, Nintendo is so stingy with their catalog, they won't even put it out on their own systems. Like, yeah. why do they not have a PSN style every Tuesday they have multiple classic games coming out? There should be, you know, four yeah, I mean, or five classic... Like Nintendo, there's like no end to their back library yeah. at this point. Why, is, why are there not five games coming out every week emulated on there? It's not hard, Nintendo. Just, yeah, I don't know. That would be enough, I think, for a lot of people to buy Wii U's and just, just to play the old games. You know, it's... Yeah. Man. Like, you buy a PS Vita, and, you know, mostly I play old PSP and PS1 stuff. Just because it's a great system for backwards compatibility. The Wii U could be that. I like the way they do emulation tremendously uh, when I actually... On the couple games I have, but they don't have a lot. Hmm. They only go up to Super NES. Huh. Really? So so they haven't, like, brought any of the N64 stuff up. Because that was, like... You can play One of the main things I played on my Wii was a Virtual Console bot version of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Nope, well, you, can, you can still play all that stuff if you go into Wii mode. Yeah, but no, I don't. No, don't do that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go and see that fucking OS again. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's strange. Let's move on. Um, speaking of controllers, they just announced today the Xbox One controller, the drivers for PC were released. Yeah. So you can now, the Xbox 360 has been sort of perennially the controller you use with a PC. Now you can use your Xbox One controller. Seems like a big step they probably needed to make there. Yeah, I mean, that's nice that, you know, just yeah. automatic support. Like, you can use a DualShock 4, but you have to kind of do some digging for, like, underground drivers and stuff and download that and kind of 
fits around yeah. with it. And the other nice thing I, I saw about that is that with the Xbox One controller, you can just use your micro USB cable that you already have for it. Nice. So you don't need to get... Like with the 360, if you wanted it to work well, you kind of had to go make sure you had a wired 360 controller. Yeah, yeah. Or you, there was a specific adapter you could buy if you wanted to. Yeah. So in any case, that's nice. Um, the news we really care about. Persona 4. The Ultimax Ultra Suplex Hold. Yes. Coming out in America this fall as Persona 4 Ultima- Arena Ultimax. Yeah. Uh, it's the sequel to Persona 4 Arena, the Persona 4 fighting game slash light novel. It is yeah. getting Taro and Adachi. Visual novel. It is visual getting. Visual novel and light novels are different yes. things. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's a visual novel. Right. A light novel. A light novel is like a small Japanese novel. There are Persona light novels too. Well, yeah, but, but yeah. there's just not. If you buy Persona 4 The Ultimax Ultra Suplex Hold, you're not going to be getting a light novel with it. I want to, we should make that abundantly yes. clear. There's some cool DLC coming out for this game. Yes. Adachi DLC. Yes. Adachi is a character from Persona 4. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to spoil it. But he's a cool character. He's a cool dude. It's going to be yeah. fun to see that. It seems like Persona 4 Arena, they're doing a lot of interesting stuff with their crossover story. Yeah. And this sounds like a fun part. But I wonder, I wonder, because, so in Persona 4, the actor Johnny Young Bosch did the voice for Adachi. Johnny Young Bosch also, I think he was the Black Ranger in the original Power Rangers. He was one of the Power Rangers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the Black Ranger. And so, but then in Persona 4 Arena and for like the anime, he voiced Narukami. And I don't know if they got anyone else to do the different voice for Adachi. So like, I don't know. I wonder if they're going to get like recast Adachi or if he's just going to like, because the voices are not that different for the two characters. So I'm curious if they're going to do anything with that. They kept him for the golden. Yes, that is true. But but Narukami didn't have any voice acting in the Golden. That's the no, point. but I think they you know they knew Arena was coming out at that point and everything. And yeah, I don't think that would make yeah, a difference. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's move on. Yeah, that's, that's I'm excited for that game. I've got it pre-ordered. I'm they they have confirmed that Ken and Koromaru are both in it, but they're like one character fighting together, which I think is a really good idea. That's probably a good both, idea. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I just like Koromaru. Yeah. Ken, who gives a shit? But Koromaru, he's awesome. At least Ken's not like five years old anymore. I hope they recast Ken. Good God, he needs they, a recast. They probably would. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. Uh, in any case, let's move on. Last piece of news, and this kind of creates a bit of a mini topic here. Batman Arkham Knight, which I would say was probably my most anticipated game of the year at this point. Just probably, I yeah. love Batman so much. And these games specifically. It was going to come out this, this uh, winter for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And it has been delayed to 2015, along with pretty much every other game announced for 2014. Yeah, basically the only games like left, the, like the Order 1886, is, but at least like that one's only pushed back to February, so it's not like a big. Yeah. But yeah, like a lot of ones, the Division. Yeah, I mean the Division. I like they kind of said that was for 2014, but I feel like that was yeah. like a really nebulous. Okay, but it seems like most of the games you might have Halo. been excited about this year, they're coming out next year. Um, you know, we've got Destiny this year. That's kind of the big release. We've got right, a new yeah. Assassin's Creed in the fall, and other Assassin's than that, Creed Unity. Yeah, I mean, technically two Assassin's Creed because there's the other one, the last right. gen one too. Yeah, like that. So other, you know, most it seems like 2014. There's, is, there's Kevin Spacey Call of Duty. Who gives a shit? Um, it seems like 2014 overall is going to be a fairly quiet year for games. Kevin Spacey. Nobody cares. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, I care about the Kevin Spacey part. I care about that part. I can get Kevin Spacey in so many other places. I don't need him in a bad Call of Duty game. Well, I mean, but it's Kevin Spacey. I don't care. It's I like hate... digital Kevin Spacey. It looked terrible. The graphics so, in that trailer were awful. That makes it even better, because it's awful digital Kevin Spacey. So, Sean, what do you yeah. make of the fact that this is going to be a pretty light year for games when all is said and done? Um, it's for a AAA little, releases at least. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit disappointing because I was hoping 
I mean, it was already, like, kind of slated to be a little bit light in terms of, like, new releases. So, yeah, like, I wish there was more stuff coming out, especially because it is, like, kind of the first year for these consoles, and you would hope that there'd be more stuff stacked like that. But on the other hand, a lot of the stuff that is getting pushed back is more getting pushed back to, like, spring 2015, which is kind of a common thing nowadays that it's like I'm kind of hoping that this is sort of prophesizing the fall of this of the fall of like this like ridiculous massive chunk of games of AAA games that always just get released between September and November and it's just like every fucking game comes out then and then it's a complete drought for the rest of the year slowly we have been making this move where there have been like there are lots of big games like drop in March and April and like a couple of small things in over the summer and usually there have been like a couple of big games coming out in like August recently so hopefully that's this is kind of a sign of hey we, we can spread shit out absolutely every game does not have to come out in the holiday season you can push it back to other days and give it some breathing room and have it be like a more consistent release schedule instead of everything being focused yeah it's just I, I agree with that that would be good um, it's just it is a little disappointing because my PS4 I'll be playing Destiny on it. I'll be playing yeah. the new Assassin's Creed on it. But other than that, it might go a little unused this year. Yeah, like there's still a possibility that, that there will be new games announced at E3 that will still come out this year. Like that yeah. happens, but... We got Drive Club. Exactly. Team-based racing. I still don't know what that is. We shall see in October. Yeah, yeah because it's yeah, PS Plus Drive Club. So. Oh yeah, it'll be free. Yeah. Alright, really nice. Well anyway, um, Arkham Knight, I hope you're good when you come out. Yeah. It'll yeah. be a while though. Yes. yes so, in any case, let's move on to some topics, Sean. Okay. All right. So, Sean, first thing I wanted to ask you about here is uh, E3 is coming up. Yes, it is. On our next podcast, we'll probably be talking about it a little bit. Probably, yeah. It's starting up here pretty yeah. soon. Um, what do you th- What do you think is going to be the story of this E3, if there's going to be a story at all? I don't know. Like, this E3 is shaping up to be really weird because, uh-huh. like, so many people have announced so much stuff ahead of E3. You know, like, I think yesterday or two days ago, they announced Mortal Kombat 10, which I love this. Like, it's just now we're just doing it Mario Kart style. We're just going to start numbering the motherfuckers. It's like, and you know, like, the Halo thing that dropped, like, forever ago. Like, all the, the announcements about all the delays. Like, everything, it feels like every game company like you know call of duty coming out ahead of e3 with that sometimes kind of happens like i feel like i don't know what's going to be announced at e3 anymore because i feel like i would have expected some of those announcements to be held off for those press conferences so i don't know if that means that everybody has a shit ton of stuff to announce at their press conferences or if that means that a lot of the the big companies are kind of deciding to kind of like with the, the thing about the fall season to sort of move away from dropping everything at e3 and so, you know, like, like Nintendo doesn't have a press conference and they didn't have a press conference last year. I wonder if other, if other companies are kind of thinking about that route of not making E3 so important and sort of like owning that sort of kind of event themselves and dropping that information themselves so that they can totally control it and, and go that route. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, that could be beneficial for Sony and Microsoft because they're still doing a good job of getting the word out on their stuff yeah. um, to a broad audience. For Nintendo, I think it's been slightly ruinous for them, the way they have kind of stopped interacting with anybody but their fan base. Yeah, with the Nintendo Directs. Nintendo needs to be doing an E3 press conference. They need to have that stage. They need to be showing their Yeah, like the when they announced the like new Zelda game or whatever, like it, I think it would make a bigger impact if it was part of a big press conference and it was like something that was really out there. Because E3 
is like the only video game thing that has any sort of penetration into like the larger news media. You know, like yes. CNN will like have run a couple of articles about stuff that got announced at E3 because like that's like the only thing that's the only time you'll see a yeah. video game thing in that kind of publication you know and at this point you know they're just going to announce whatever they announced to Nintendo Direct very few people watch Nintendo Direct and even gaming sites are kind of giving up on reporting on all of that yeah so you know it's just they need this year they if they've got if Nintendo has some crazy plan to save Nintendo they can't say that through a Nintendo Direct because they're speaking to people who already own their stuff. Yeah. So, but they've, I mean, they've they've just decided that they are going to become as insular as they can and, you know, whatever. I don't know why that's a business strategy they're favoring. It's clearly not working, but they're sticking to their guns. Yeah. But Sony and Microsoft, they're going to have their big press conferences. Yeah. Um, you know, they're both, they're both doing pretty well. I mean, here's, I guess I would ask, you know, Microsoft, they've made even more changes to the Xbox One brand. Um, with the lock of Connect, do you yeah. think that this E3 press conference will be about trying to resolidify the identity of that console? Probably. Like I'm, like I'm because I still like I'm kind of confused over the whole Connect thing. That's just like they, I don't know what they were doing. Like if they were just going to drop the Connect like this and just like say fuck it, this early on in the console's lifespan, like I feel like they didn't even give the Connect a chance to take hold. So it's like. Are they ever going to show Connect games again? Like, because they only had like two that I know of. Like, literally, there are only two Connect games that I'm aware of that got released on the Xbox One, and that is Ubisoft's Fighter Within and Connect Sports Rivals. Neither of those got good reviews, but Dave Tennant is the narrator in Connect Sports Rivals, so that's I watched the trailer, and he was in it. So, I would rather you know watch Broad Church or something. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was a one minute trailer, <laughs> I and I you. saw the headline on Reddit. It was like. Fuck it, I haven't watched David Tennant in anything in like two weeks. I will watch him in this trailer right was now. Was he using his Scottish accent? Yes, it was his normal Scottish. It was really weird. It's a very strange choice for narrator is Scottish David Tennant. But have you, have you fuck heard, it, they did it. Have you heard, uh, there's, that, there's that trailer for the remake of Broadchurch they're doing where weirdly he's playing the same character but he's an American yeah. now. It's called Grace Point. Have you seen the trailer for that? I haven't seen the. Oh my god, you hear his American accent and his voice. You know how David Tennant has a very high-pitched voice? Yeah. It gets super deep. Huh. When he's doing it in his American accent and like very threatening, it sounds like Alex Hardy is like a fucking asshole now. Huh. It's weird. You should watch the trailer. It's super. Sure. And he's saying the exact same lines from the original. Like That's everybody is. Like it looks like Grace Point is just a word for word reshoot of. And I mean, even every camera angle is the same. Huh. Um, but it's like, but with now David Tennant has a deep voice. It's strange. Interesting. Back to Xbox. Right, Xbox. So yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I think they're done with Connect. I think they. I. I, I just. I don't know what the upside is for them at this point now. It, it doesn't seem like their hearts were in it in the way they needed to be in it. You know, in Nintendo, yeah. whatever you want to say about the Wii and their stupid motion controls, Nintendo fucking believed in that yeah. for a while. I've, although, on the other hand, like, they had no other recourse that it's like you yes. couldn't... Drop the Wii mode. Yeah, yeah, it's like that wouldn't make any sense. Where it's like you can remove, after the fact, you can remove the Kinect. I still think it's kind of a bummer of decision because it's like... There is no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no argument for buying the Xbox One over the PS4 if you don't have the Kinect. Like, even if I don't like the Kinect necessarily, like, at least it is something that the PS4 didn't have. It's like, all you have are your exclusives, and Sony is kicking your ass at that. Like, they've got way more exclusives, so it's like, it's you, you took, like, the only, like, punch you had and, like, decided to throw it away for, like, 
something so you can have a headline that says oh our cpu is 10 percent powerful 10 percent more powerful if we don't have to account for connect it's like but that's only true if you make games that then specifically cannot use the connect to be able to allocate that power to it stuff like that that it's like it seems like they probably have basically abandoned the connect but that means it's like yeah i guess the only thing they have to do at e3 the only thing they can do now is just announce a bunch of exclusives. That's like the only... That's With all the moves they've made, that's the only recourse they have. It's just like, just fight it out with the games because they've sort of put themselves in this weird corner where there is no unique buying point for their console if you do not have Kinect attached to it. Yeah, I mean, do you think... I mean, prediction right now, will Kinect come up at that conference at all on a game... It has to. I meant on a game demo level. No. They have to mention it, obviously. I mean, they didn't have a game demo for Kinect like on the stage when they announced the console or I think even at E3 last year because it's like that was a weird thing that in terms of its use for games the Kinect has for Xbox One has always been weirdly absent like I said there's only two fucking games that I know of and one of, and only one of them is even a first party game like the only the Kinect Sports Rival is the only first party Kinect game that I am conscious of coming out for Xbox One, and I don't think any, like, I don't know anybody else who even knows that Fighters Within, like, is a game that ever came out. So. I never heard of it. Yeah. They, don't they, doesn't Harmonix have that Fantasia one coming out? Yes. Yeah, it hasn't come out yet, right. but it is coming okay. out. And I think it might be coming out for 360 as well, I'm not okay. sure. Okay, well, it's weird. Um, Fantasia Music Evolved. So do we hear about this mythical Halo remake collection? There's going to be a Halo announcement. It's probably, yes, like, it's either that or maybe Halo 2 Anniversary, because I... It, when uh, Major Nelson made the tweet that was like, oh, Xbox controllers now work for PC, it very specifically was a picture of an Xbox One controller hooked up into a laptop that had Halo 2 PC version running on it, which feels like that might be a tease. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I saw people making a big deal out of that, and it seems plausible to me. I think that's... I think we, at the very least, get Halo 2 Anniversary, because this is the anniversary year, and they need to yeah. get something out. I think we might... What get... Halo 2 anniversary is going to be was a, like a more yeah. interesting question to me. Like, if they keep the multiplayer and what that would mean if they did. Because that would be creating a brand new suite for a new console, which... Yeah, and, they... and also it would be creating this Halo multiplayer like a year before their new Halo game comes out. And it's like, do you want to sort of have your fan base be sort of fractured that way? Especially because Halo 4 experienced like multiplayer population death within months of it coming out. Like, it did not sustain population at all like the other Halo games, so... Very strange. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about Microsoft? Uh, there will probably be a new a teaser for a new Gears of War. I don't know who's going to... I think maybe they did announce who's going to be developing they it. They did. But, it's not... Yeah, it's like Epic yeah. is not... Epic, like, sold it away or whatever because they don't want to do it. And I don't think... I don't think it's people can fly who made Judgment. Yeah. Um, they do have someone new developing it. I'm looking for that name right now. Why don't you go on, Sean? Yeah, so there will be a teaser for Gears oh, of War. Oh, sorry. It's Black Tusk Studios in Canada. Oh, huh. I think that's a new studio. Yeah. I'm sure. I don't remember if Black Tusk has ever done anything. So, yeah, there will be some, like... I, I think it's going to be, like, a teaser trailer. I wonder if they're going to keep up the, like, pretentious sort of, like, either poem or song playing over, like, like this really slow downer thing narration playing over like this really depressing trailer that Gears of War always seems to do you know that's weird alright what about Sony um, Sony feels like the big thing I think Sony needs to do this year is they need to announce some kind of exclusive that they can get out before the year's end because otherwise yeah. they don't have any you know first party exclusives coming out in 2014 Infamous already came out Order 1886 got pushed back Drive Club 
I've got Drive Club, but it's not... Team-based racing. If we're being completely honest about Drive yeah. Club, it's not going to be, you know, a no, big... it's not, it's yeah. not going to set the world on fire. So, that, other than that, I mean, they've made a lot of the right moves. People are happy about it. Uh, the console's identity is solid. I, yeah. you know, maybe they could announce um, some more UI features and stuff at E3. Sure. Maybe some like, updates like for that. Teasing some, like, really huge patch or something. Yeah, that'd be nice. But other than that, I mean, I, I think don't they're think... going to show... Because I think they need to. They're going to show whatever the fuck Uncharted 4 is at this point. They did just announce that... Yeah, that um, Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley, who are the creative directors on Last of Us and, like, part of the creative, like, direction team on Uncharted 2 are now taking over for, like, after Amy Hennig left for Uncharted 4, so... Yeah, yeah, so, it's so like, Uncharted hey, 4 will be very dark. Yeah, evidently. But it's like, yeah, so so they need to have... I, I'm going to guess there's going to be some, some sort of a substantial component of that. Like, a, that's going to be a significant, like, latchkey thing in their presentation. Is going to be a big gameplay demo of the next Uncharted game because after all the announcements of, like, all the people leaving Naughty Dog in the wake of Amy Hennig leaving, like, I, they need to show that game to show people that it's like it exists and is going to be a good game. Yeah. Whether or not it is going to be a good game, I don't know, but... It, it's a, there's a good bet on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, anything else you can think of that Sony will have there? I don't know. Like, I yeah, I think the biggest thing they do need is, like, a new IP and, and something big that's going to come out, yeah, that, this fall. Because, like you said, their, their, like, lineup of exclusive titles is really, really slim. New Ratchet and Clank game, and they start numbering them again. So we can pick up with Ratchet and Clank like, 32. Yeah, 12 or something. To 12, you're lowballing that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There are a lot of Ratchet and Clank there games. There are. I don't, there's not. There's not 32. No, there's not 32, yeah. but there are. There's, I think there's, there's less than 20. Okay. There's definitely less than 20. I'm going to look this up. There's no. There's absolutely no way that there's more than 20, Ratchet, 20 or more Ratchet and Clank games. All right, so let's just look at this. Um, all right, so we have. In the original series, we have five games. Yeah. In the future series, we have four games. That's nine. nine. Then we have 10, 11, 12. We have two mobile games, that's 15, and we have the collection. So, Sean, you were much closer than me. Yeah, and if you don't count mobile games, that's 12, and I wouldn't count mobile games. That's pretty impressive, Sean. Yeah, so fuck you. I'm actually secretly a huge fan of Ratchet & Clank, and you never knew the whole time. Okay, you've played all of these? Yeah, I've I've played Ratchet & Clank, and the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, the ones where they're, it's like, he's a Lombax, and Clank is a robot. And I think he does... Does he have a British accent? I don't remember. I think he has a British accent. I I, think. Ratchet and Clank, one of the... I think it's called Tools of Destruction, was the first game I played on my PS3, and I haven't played it since. Yeah, but Ratchet is definitely a Lombax. He is. He's a cool That's, Lombax. He's a Lombax. I would play more Ratchet and Clank. I like those games, but... Yeah, you know, Lombax. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anything else to say about E3? Uh, <laughs> what are not other... really, like, yeah, I don't... No, Does, I mean, I mean we're going to see EA th- and Ubisoft both have press conferences. Also, so. I mean, I think we're going to finally hear about what this other Assassin's Creed game is, and we'll yeah, probably yeah, get a see, Unity Pirates demo or whatever it is. Yeah, Maybe yeah they'll bring... I, Ubisoft will probably have a new big game that's like a brand new IP kind of thing. Do they confirm they're working on Watch Dogs Two? There may be a talk about it. like there may be like insinuate that um, they're probably going to talk about how well Watch Dogs has sold and they might like insinuate that because Watch Dogs is getting annualized. Yes, no doubt about that. It is the highest selling. I don't. UIP. I don't. I don't think Watch Dogs Two is going to come out next year. No, but know, I think you know Assassin's Creed Two didn't come out the year after Assassin's yeah, Creed. No, but you know there's going to be a lot more Watch Dogs in the yeah. future because it sold a lot of copies. The thing I actually I'm most excited about is I'm curious about EA's press conference. I'm curious to see how much of their Star Wars games we're going to oh, see that'd because be cool. EA, if people don't remember last year, it, they 
they said this like, oh, we have now the license to make all these Star Wars games, and that's one of the things that Amy Hennig left to do is she joined Visceral on a Star Wars project. So yeah, yeah, I want to see what all, all that is. But. Anywhere in any of this, do we see? Is this where we finally see something about Mass Effect Four? Maybe, yeah, Mass Effect Four. Yeah, I would guess Mass Effect Four, like whatever they're going to call it, the new Mass Effect game that we know they're working on. I'll bet that will make an appearance at EA's press conference. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, man, it's they have not did done any official confirmations about that game for a long time. Yeah, it's yeah, we're due for that. I yeah, think. I mean, it's like only sort of very barely even been technically announced. Like we just yeah. know people are working on it, but we don't know anything else about yeah. it. But I have to imagine they're pretty far into it at this point, just because probably yeah, it's been a while. So I'm excited for that. So we'll see. Oh, here's I'm going to make now. I'm going to make a very bold prediction. I predict. That the last Guardian, the game that's sort of been vaporware for years with Sony, I think that's going to come be in their press conference for coming out on PS4. That's my that's my guess. Okay, so they're going to Final Fantasy 15 it. Yeah, I think I think that's I I think this is the year. If it doesn't happen this year, it never it's, it's officially it's officially gone. Like there's absolutely no way Last Guardian is coming out at any point past this year. So I think it would be amazing if that game came out and it was somehow great. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> I think if it did come out, it would actually be really good. They've had ten years to work on it. (laughs) I don't think it's vaporware in the same way that Duke Nukem Forever was vaporware. I think it's... I don't know. I don't know what's happening with that game, but... But, I mean, Last Guardian was a thing where, like, at least Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen, we kept hearing about it. Sure. It just never came out. And then this Last Guardian just dropped off the face of the earth. But it's like, with Last Guardian, I feel like it's every single year, like, a billion different reporters ask Sony and I can't remember his name but the guy who, who's like the head of that studio that was, that's making Last Guardian supposedly making Last Guardian they always ask him what the where the fuck is Last Guardian and what is happening with that game and they're always like we're still doing it yeah it's still yeah yeah like we're not going to show anything about it we're not going to talk about it anywhere other than specifically in these interviews when you ask us a direct question about it but it's a thing that's happening it's like okay well we shall see I like yeah. that prediction I think it's I think it's this year. I think it's this year. I think okay. it's this year. My bold prediction... I think that will be their big game that comes out in fall. I'm going to say that. All right. Here's here's my... As long as we're going like with, you know... Sure. Big predictions. Just curveball predictions. Yeah. All right. We've been hearing a lot about, you know, will there be a Last of Us 2? Are they going to try to franchise Last of Us? What's right, going to happen? Yeah. Uncharted 4 is a Last of Us crossover no. where Nathan Drake is thrust into the apocalypse now and has to save everyone. Silly. Like, I was... Like, that's the answer. This was a serious conversation. I know. <laughs> and that this is ridiculous. I don't even know what you're talking about. Speaking of ridiculous... Uh, I, my other big prediction is that Mario Kart 8 is going to be ported onto the Xbox One. Okay, yeah, sure. That's that's definitely going to happen. And uh, Master Chief and like the Warthog is going to be in it. So it's going to be... It's be really, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a really good game. Okay. Speaking of ridiculous, let's talk about Mario Kart 8 itself. Okay, sure. And, and how great is Master Chief and the Warthog in Mario Kart 8, John? They're the best carts. Yeah, exactly. No. Man, it's I... That, it's like double dash because you get someone on the back. It's like it's yeah. the only cart you can do double dash for. Yes. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about Mario Kart 8. Sure. Uh, this game came out on May 30th. Uh, I've been playing it since then. I've you know played all the tracks a couple of times, and I've done some of the online play and whatnot. I haven't gotten to do a ton of online because for a couple of days there it was completely inaccessible. Hmm. Um, I think their servers were overtaxed because Nintendo probably has you know one flash drive somewhere because that's all yeah. they need for Wii U online. And then finally they're like, oh god, people are playing. We have to get <laughs> servers. Um, so anyway, fuck did Mario Kart Eight come out? God, why did we, why did we release it on a Friday? It's like reviews for that game came out two weeks before it came out. It's like I thought forever that it had come out already. Yeah, it's like it, no, it only very recently came out. All right, so Mario Kart Eight has gotten rave reviews from everybody. Yeah, everybody loves the game, and 
I don't I don't know what to say about it because the first couple days I was playing it, I had a lot of fun with it, but I will say every time I've gone back to it, I've enjoyed it less. And I, I can't even put my finger on what it is. I'll start with the positives. Okay. When you boot the game up, you start playing it. This is hands down, far and away, the most beautiful game Nintendo has ever made. And honestly, it's one of the better looking games I've ever played. It looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. If the Wii U can do what Mario Kart 8 is doing, they need to share those secrets with other developers and, and get people making games that look like this. It looks gorgeous. It's just the color depth and the vibrancy of everything and the way it just everything seems to pop off the screen and the lighting effects are so good. And there are some really rich textures in the game. Uh, the only And, and it's, it runs solid at 60 frames per second and there's never been a hiccup. If you're in two-player mode, it's still 60 frames per second and you have no graphical degradation. Hmm. It's amazing, uh, the, the, quali- the technical quality of Mario Kart 8. It is very impressive. The only time you will get to, you know, sub 60 frames a second is if you had a third or fourth player. And fair enough, I would not expect yeah, sure. that. Yeah, screen's the yeah. thing to do. Yeah, no, no problems there. And I, I haven't played in three or four player, but in any case. So, you know, it's, it's a really technically solid game. The only thing I would complain about there is I feel like the character models, I wish they would update them. They did a weird thing where Donkey Kong, they have completely revamped his character model. Hmm. Every hair on him is individually rendered now. Oh, nice. They're all there. He has fur. And he looks awesome, but Mario is still just a plastic sheen. Yeah. And Peach is still just a plastic sheen. And that's kind of disappointing because they stick out like a sore thumb because their carts are, like, beautifully detailed. And all the all the tracks are beautifully detailed. And then you have just plastic Mario in the middle. That looks weird. I wish they would have fixed that. Um, it does give me hope for Smash Bros. for Wii U because if they can, you know, make it this beautiful, and I know Masahiro Sakurai likes making more detailed character models, mm-hmm. maybe you know, maybe Smash Bros. will be the game that have, finally has that. But Mario Kart 8 looks great. The sound design is wonderful. It makes great use of the surround sound stage, which I really haven't heard a Nintendo game do so far. Um, it's got really, really good music. Mario Kart 8, Mario Kart games always yeah. have really fun music. It's got a well, good except soundtrack. Except for Mario Kart 64, which has no music playing while you play the game. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. It's just okay. like this constant drone of the yeah. engine, and it's because that's like something that I forgot about until we like replayed it or whatever, like senior year in high school in someone's house. Oh, yeah. It was just like. I haven't played this game since I was like 10 and in my mind it always had music. It's like, there's no music. There's no music at all. It's just this... Now I remember that. It's like, I'm losing my fucking mind playing this goddamn game. Yeah, well anyway, it sounds great. It looks great. It plays great. I think it has far and away the best cart customization and handling. Like, the game just feels good when you're playing it. Like, you have a bunch of options to customize your cart. So you have, like, a pool of carts and bikes and even ATVs now. And every character can access all of them. But, obviously, which character you put in one of those carts changes the feel of it. So you've got all of those. Then you also pick your wheels, which adjust things. And you pick your glider, which also adjusts things. Um, And so you can put all that together. I, Thomas and I, my brother, when we play this together, we both spend a lot of time in that customization screen, just getting our carts ready before we race. And you do need to think about it, because it does affect outcomes of races and whatnot. And I think once you find something that feels good, I mean, when you're racing, you can feel those changes. It's not just, you know, whatever cart you pick, they all race the same. It really, you know, it matters. And I think the cars just feel good. I feel like I have more control over the track and over what I'm doing than I have in any other Mario Kart game. Um, the sense of speed is pretty good. You know, it moves well. Uh, it's just, it's, it's fun to play. But, and this is where the but comes in, is that I cannot win a fucking race in this game. Huh. And I, I think it's just, they need to, at some point, consider 
balancing Mario Kart. And I know that sounds crazy. Balance? Mario Kart? Next thing you're going to call for is balancing Super Smash Brothers. Ridiculous. Balance has never been Mario Kart's strong suit. No. But you can go over the line. You know, Mario Kart would not be Mario Kart if it weren't a little unbalanced. That's part of the fun. Yeah. But the thing that they did with Mario Kart Wii, and I will say Mario Kart 8 is a much better game than Mario Kart Wii, and I like Mario Kart Wii. I think it was a really fun game. This is a this is an improvement. They they even they did balance it more than that game. The problem is Mario Kart Wii jumped the racers up from eight to twelve, hmm. and within that, I mean, but they didn't make you know the tracks bigger or longer or anything, and they have just as many items. And in fact, Mario Kart Wii had many more items and a larger frequency of items. So Mario Kart Wii was you were getting hit pretty much constantly, and there was no chance to ever gain any momentum. And Mario Kart Wii could be really annoying because of that. Mario Kart Eight has a very similar problem. They they dialed it back a little bit. There aren't as many items. Items don't hurt you for as long. Falling off the map does not completely fuck you over. You're put back on very fast now. So they've balanced those things out a little bit. But the fact of the matter is still that if you are, I would say, below fourth, you can't get above fourth because you're in the scrum at that point. Everybody has items. You are constantly getting hit. And I am still furious to see that they have not stopped the AI from cheating. AI cheating has always been a problem in Mario Kart. They get better items. They get items spontaneously. They get spontaneous buffs and boosts. Um, and it still happens. And it's just annoying because, like, I was playing a race the other day. Finally, I'm in first. And basically, Waluigi just got a spontaneous buff next to me and got ahead of me right over the finish line. And things just happen like that. And I've, I've confirmed online. I've looked this stuff up. I'm mm-hmm. not the only one thinking there are spontaneous buffs going on. They are going on. Um, there's a lot of AI cheating still in the game that annoys me more than anything else it's just you know they and they also never miss you with items and whatnot so again if you're in that scrum where everyone is racing together you are just getting hit and hit and hit and hit and the problem is that if you're out in I think third second first maybe the you know top three players will be jockeying with each other a little bit but if you're in first and you have even a decent lead you're not getting out of first it's you're there mm-hmm. and it's it's just and so I've had races where when I say I can't win a race it's actually it's this kind of thing where I'm either in first and I never see another racer and the race is super boring, or I'm in the middle of the scrum and I can't stop getting hit by red shells. So, it's just frustrating on that level and I don't know what to do about it. Maybe I just need to play the game more and learn it more, and maybe because the cart customization is so deep at this point, I just haven't found the right way to race, but it's it's but frustrating even, but and I don't... But to me, like, that just sounds like who wants that Mario Kart game? Like, out of, like the idea of, like, this really deep cart customization seems like a bad idea to me. This is like Mario Kart's supposed to be a party game. Like, I, you shouldn't have to sit down and tweak every single part on your cart in order to be able to play the game well. It's like, if yeah. I go over to your house, you know, like, I imagine that if I just sat down, like, and we decided to play Mario Kart together, I would be like, I don't know what any of these parts do because I didn't unlock them. Like, I wasn't here. It's like, to see the progression, like, there's just all these fucking parts... I don't know what a good cart is, and so it's like, if that's necessary for you to be able to do well, it's like, it seems like you want Mario Kart to be this pick-up-and-play racer that anyone can have fun with, just the way that Smash Brothers is this pick-up-and-play fighter that anybody can have fun with. And it's like, if it's not balanced, that's fine, because it's not balanced in just ridiculous ways. That's like, if you're bad at the game, you can still have fun and do well at it. That's why those games not being balanced works. It's not like this idea of you need to tweak all the shit and like play the game really well and that's like how you enjoy it yeah and i think where i kind of i haven't played mario kart 8 in a couple of days and my kind of frustration breaking point was i just had a series of races where i was playing split screen with thomas and i would go you know a whole race without ever 
hitting anything, hitting a patch of grass, falling off without ever, you know, losing momentum. I'd be racing perfectly. I'd get a boost around every single fucking turn. I was mastering these tracks, and yet I was getting hit by so many goddamn items, I couldn't make any progress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, getting hit by items is not a skill thing. It's, you can't be a, you know, good Mario Kart players don't not get hit by items. There's no yeah. strategy to that or anything. And it's just annoying. And they've done other things like they made the blue shell fucking worse than ever. Not for 1P. They made it less bad for the first place player. Yeah. But now the blue shell goes on the floor and it'll hit everybody in its huh. track. Which is amazingly frustrating. That is a so, hell of a blue shell, man. Yeah. It's just annoying. So, yeah, I'm just not sure. I need to play more of it. I would like to go online and play more of that because I wonder if when you're playing with all real people... And I played a little bit of online and I definitely... I actually did better there than with computer players. I was mm -hmm. doing much better there. Um, and I wonder if it's just an, a thing where Nintendo just still makes AI cheat, and that's annoying. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know, like, I, this may be just me, but if I want, like, the thing I want to be really good in Mario Kart is four-player split-screen, and that's it. Like, that's, yeah. that's if, I want, if I wanted to play a Mario Kart game, that's how I would want to play it. I wouldn't want to play it just randomly online with people. That just doesn't... That the yeah. that sounds like, the idea of that sounds like the idea of playing Super Smash Brothers online, which is not appealing to me in the slightest. Right. Like, I don't want to play with some random dude halfway across the world. If I wanted to do that, I would pick a really good like competitive. I would play fucking Burnout Paradise. You know, I wouldn't play yeah. Mario Kart. But it's you know it's a weird thing. I do think Mario Kart has the potential to be a good standalone game on its own. You know, playing one you know single player and stuff like that. Because I still think easily the best Mario Kart game is Mario Kart DS. And I've played all of the Mario Kart games, and I just... Uh, DS is the one I know I've sunk the most time into, but I definitely... I stuck with DS longer than any other Mario Kart game, just be, and I still go back to it uh, a lot. Not a lot now, but, you know, several times yeah. a year just to play it. It's still just... It's a good Mario Kart. It's as balanced as any of those are. It's got a good sense of speed, even being on a little handheld console. It's got good tracks. There's a lot of carts, but the cart customization, as you say, isn't so deep as to be confusing. It's got, it just handles well, and you know, Mario Kart 8 looks better and sounds better, and I think even has better courses. It has the best courses in any of Mario Kart games. They are phenomenal. The, the creativity on display with those courses is out of this world, and yet I still, the DS1 trumps them all to me, and, and obviously you can't play the DS1 split screen. So it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So you totally should, because there are two fucking screens on that, on that thing, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if there I, is ever a console of on which you should be able to play split screen it would be the DS well and I will say with DS obviously I, whenever I can I play it with other people like my brother yeah. and I will hook up our DS's or you know I've got cousins who have the game and we'll play it that way or friends and that was fun with the DS game but it's you know it's just a weird case but maybe I'll maybe I'll talk about Mario Kart 8 again in another week or two if I've had a little more time with it but Here, here's a question for you how is the new Rainbow Road it's a it's a good Rainbow Road mm -hmm. I like it here's my complaint though sure they have the N64 Rainbow Road and that was an awesome Rainbow Road because it was this endurance test. It was yeah, super it was long. like fucking like an eight minute long race. Yes. It was ridiculous for like a lap. It is, in Mario Kart 8, by far the shortest race in that entire game. Huh. It's like maybe the first corner of Rainbow Road from 8. Like it ends so fast when we crossed the finish line for the last time. I thought I was finishing the first lap of a normal length course. <laughs> they just took, I mean they call it N64 Rainbow Road. I don't know if it has anything in common with it. It's very short. It just goes by almost immediately. Huh. It's nothing. It's the one big misstep in that game. Like, that's the cool thing is that with their retro courses, they treated them much more as, like, adaptations now than remakes. Mm -hmm. So they're all very different. Like, there's some... Some of my favorite courses are in there, like the TikTok Clock level from Mario Kart DS. It's a great course. 
But knowing TikTok Clock from DS will not allow you to win it on Mario Kart 8 because they've changed a lot of stuff. There's a lot of new secrets and surprises. And I like that. It's a really good use of the retro format where it's like, it's familiar, but it's also very new. Um, I just their, their new version of Rainbow Road from N64 is decidedly inferior. Hmm. So that was a little disappointing. But their new Rainbow Road is, is fun. It's, it's not the most challenging Rainbow Road in the world. It's also not the easiest one. Um, it's somewhere in the middle, but it's really visually dazzling. And you're going around the space station, and there's a lot of cool anti-gravity stuff. And it's, so they've, like, in the Mario universe, they have now, like, there's, they're, like, they have some space station that is, like, studying the Rainbow Road, this, like, bizarre artifact that just yes. exists above Earth. <laughs> I like that. I like that it's, like, humanity is making progress in that universe, trying to figure out what the fuck Rainbow Road even is. And how the fuck these people are driving carts on it. Alright, well, in any case, that's Mario Kart 8. Sean, do you want to talk a little Watch Dogs? Let's talk Watch Dogs. Alright, first thing to say, we are both playing this on the PS4. Yes. Which is apparently one of two consoles you can play the game on without horrible performance. Yeah, yeah. And even the Xbox One is at lower resolution and everything. So. Yeah, obviously. But yeah, the, P- the PC version seems totally fucked by people who have been playing the PC version. That It seems like they're... Just a huge amount of optimization problems with that. So if you're someone who plays PC games, you know, that's a thing to watch out for, I guess. Yeah, uh, and it's got... uh, What I've heard is its performance on PS3 and 360 is not unplayable, but it's fairly poor. There's a lot of tearing. There's a lot of frame rate dips. Um, You know, draw distance is not good. So Mm -hmm. that's a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, But on the PS4 and Xbox One, apparently it's working fine. I have encountered a number of little bugs along the way. I haven't but, seen too many bugs, okay. like a couple of them, but anything, like the kind of bugs you would expect to see in like an open world okay. game. Right, we'll talk about that later, but yeah, and I know there's been a lot of stories of glitches also, game-breaking bugs, Yeah, I've heard like that. some that, I didn't look too deep into it, but I heard some like, there was some ridiculous game-breaking bug that I'm not sure if it was also on the PS4, but if like you access some Uplay content, there was a good chance that it would just basically like kill your save file. So I didn't do that, because also... Ubisoft does not give about you play content. Also, Ubisoft still doesn't give you multiple save files, which yeah, this yeah. is the problem. Like it was funny. Uh, my brother Thomas has just started playing GTA Five because he uh, he hadn't been home for a while, and, and I have the console we have GTA Five on. So he started playing it, and I saw him making a save, and he had just been writing over his same save. And I'm like, why aren't you cycling saves, Thomas? They've got like infinite slots. And he's like, it's GTA. I don't need to do that. I'm like, what if your save file gets corrupted? He's like, it's GTA. I don't need to do that. I'm like. It's a video game that gives you multiple save files. You should cycle saves. Did you just sit him down and tell him this ancient tale of a kid named Sean who was playing a game <laughs> called Assassin's Creed Revelations and yeah. he played it for like 20 hours and then it just decided to overwrite his save file and start over at the beginning and then he, he wept and that's the end of the story. Cycling saves. Kids, this is a PSA, the more you know. Yeah. Cycle your saves. Yeah, if, it gives you, if a video game is considered enough to give you the opportunity to make multiple save files... Fucking do it. Yes. Don't make my mistake, kids. Don't be like me. Minimum of three. I mean, I guess it wasn't a mistake I made. It was a mistake the game fucking made. So Right. Yeah, games that do not give you multiple save files always make me a little nervous. Yeah. 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 In any case, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about Watch Dogs. So this was about as hyped as a game can be. It was announced two years ago at E3. Yep. Um, sort of like one of the really big E3 game reveals of the past few years where it was like a big new IP... It was very flashy. It was before the PS4 and the Xbox One were officially announced yet. And so it was clearly a next-gen game targeted to be on those consoles. But you, it was all sort of like hush-hush because it was like, it's going to be on PC and 
on something it's like okay it's the playstation 4 and what should hopefully be called like the xbox 3 or something but that was in those you know heady days before we knew the horrible name that they would eventually give the xbox one xbox infinity that was a better title or the xbox it was the one i was a fan of xbox 720 forever yeah all right in any case um let's yeah, so Watch Dogs had all this hype. We've been waiting for it for years. We were excited to play it last year at the PS4 launch. It got delayed. Sean, you've played some Watch Dogs? Yes, I have. I've played, played some Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs. What do you think of... I just wanted to... Do you, what is your opinion on the title of Watch Dogs? Do you think it's Watch Space Dogs, or do you, do you go with Watch Underscore Dogs? Just Watch Space Dogs. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Watch Underscore Dogs man. Even though I think it is officially technically space... On the box art, it's an underscore. So. Right, well, I don't have the box. I bought it digitally. Yeah. So. Oh, well. But it's like on, it has the box art cover on like the PlayStation Store, so you'd still I didn't look at it there, but sure. Did it. Yeah. Automatic downloads. It's awesome. Discs. Okay. I'm rocking it old school. Nice. Yeah. All right. In any case, Sean, you've played some Watch Dogs. Yes. What do you think about it so far? Uh, I think Watch underscore Dogs is a good game. It is if you should not go into it expecting it to be the game they hyped you should never go into any video game like that because everybody every company wants to obviously make their product seem like it's going to be the greatest product that has ever been invented in the history of mankind that is certainly what Watch Dogs was sort of positioned as is like this true next gen experience if you are someone who like me has played inexplicably basically every major Ubisoft title that has come out in like the past is, eight years this is still one of my favorite things about you you have played every Assassin's Creed game I've just out of spite yeah, out of I, bitterness you just, I don't know why it happens it just does I mean because they are good games at the end of the day they are good games and I do enjoy them but and that's this the thing at the end of the day they are good games and I enjoy them and Watch Dogs is just like all those other Ubisoft games it's like they're really good but they are also tremendously flawed in a large number of ways and if you can look past those flaws and enjoy what's good about them. You'll have a good time. I've been having a good time with Watch Dogs. And it's not, you know, don't go into it expecting a good story. Because the best story I've seen in a Watch or in an Ubisoft game is Assassin's Creed 4. And that's, like, a decent story. It's not anything exceptional. It's like, yeah, that's like a solid story with some decent characters. It's and got an arc. Yeah, there's no glaring, unbelievable flaw in this story, you know, Far Cry 3 had, like, an, an unbelievable beginning that was incredible, and then just pissed it all down the drain in the most, like, pathetic fashion I've ever seen a game do. All the other Assassin's Creed games just have the most awful storytelling I've, that I still don't understand how they sort of just get, those games got just kind of a pass by the game's reviewers. It's like, yeah, Ezio's a cool character, and it's like, ah, you can, sure, maybe he's a cool character who doesn't do anything, has no real interesting motivation, there's no theme or core structure to any of the plot, but yeah, I guess Ezio's a cool guy. So yeah, like, if you know the Ubisoft games have shitty stories, guess what? Watch Dogs has a shitty story. If you are annoyed by games that have a shit ton of collectibles and you don't want to play a game that has a shit ton of collectibles, well, guess what? Every Ubisoft game does that. Watch Dogs does that. Do you want a game that has, like, some fun combat? Well, every fucking Ubisoft game basically has that. And guess what? Watch Dogs has that. Like, it's exactly the game I expected it to be. It is not the game that they hyped it to be, but it never is. So I think if you go into it with that mindset, you would enjoy it. It has flaws, but, you know, it's still fun. That's me. I'm not sure what to say about Watch Dogs, because 
I am having a lot of fun with the game. I've been playing it in all of my free time since it came out, pretty much. But the moment I start to talk about it in any critical fashion, yeah. I don't have a lot of good things to say about it. And it's weird. I hated the first couple hours of Watch Dogs. I wanted my money back. I wanted to stop playing it. I only powered through because I wanted to talk about it for this podcast. And I spent $60 on it. Yeah. But I, I think this game does an atrocious job introducing itself, introducing its own systems, getting you into the world. I think it's as flawed uh, an intro, you know, um, couple of hours to a major AAA title as I've ever seen in a video game. And it... You have not played Assassin's Creed 3. Okay. That has a way worse intro. Well, and here's one of the things I want to say, though. Sure. Is okay. that you have a history of playing everything Ubisoft has ever made or something. Yeah. My history with Ubisoft is Assassin's Creed 4, and that's it. Yeah. So I've played the best game they've probably ever put out, and that's it. And I, it was a game with a really, I, I thought, a really fun story. Not exceptional, but good. I had nothing less than good. It was a good story, yeah. had good characters, it was fun, I was interested in it. I never wanted to, you know, skip over the cutscenes and ignore the story. Um, it had great gameplay. It had a couple of systems that didn't fully pay off, but there was nothing so glaring that it like brought anything down for me. Yeah. Assassin's Creed Four is a near great package to me, sure. if yeah, not a definitely. if not a fully great one, because you know a great game is The Last of Us. It's, yeah. it's not that, but it's a it's a near great game, and that's where I'm coming from. And they had hyped Watch Dogs to be you know what seemed like maybe an evolution of Ubisoft style or something, and they talked about all the hacking mechanics and whatnot. Hacking is not. Doesn't amount to much in the final game. Yeah, it's the square it, button. Yeah, it's the square I button. I do love that square button, though. It's a good square button. It's, it's DualShock 4. feels good. Yeah. But no. So I guess that's where I was coming into this from, was that this is just, you know... I, I mean, even at its best, Watch Dogs, to me, doesn't come close to nipping at the heels of Assassin's Creed 4. So there's that. But it's just... You know, so that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. I didn't like Watch Dogs at first. When you, when you realize fairly early on, the story is nothing. There's nothing interesting to it. There's really no... There's no interesting characters. There's no even the cutscenes are just. I think the dialogue is dreadfully written. Like I at this point, I get I'm entertained watching the cutscenes only because the dialogue is so bad. I'm laughing at it. Um, but like early on, all of that was kind of disappointing to me. I think it basically it has that awful tutorial mission in the stadium, and that was bad, and I yeah. didn't like it. And then you get into you know, then it just drops you into the open world, and everything is there for you, including missions, side missions, and none of it is explained. Yeah, the like whole almost. I think you can all maybe go like to everywhere in the open world map as like from go. You know, you can. I mean, I went and got all the CTS CTOS locations. Yeah, because it's like the most open world games, like Grand Theft Auto and stuff, gate you to right. like certain areas of the map to make sure you don't get overwhelmed for a reason. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, Rockstar is an expert at that. But this was, you know, you're just there and. And I just had, my mi- mi- biggest frustration at first was just, I didn't know how to fucking play this thing, because it doesn't tell you. So it's like, and I assumed because, of, and this is where the hype annoyed me. I assumed because of the hype, there were more complex systems to this than basic third-person combat and pressing the square button to hack things. And driving. Right. Just the three systems the game has. Now. Right. But I think it was, it was fair for me to assume when I got into it, maybe it was more complex than that. So I didn't just approach it as a third-person game I know how to play. I was trying to figure out, you know, what are these complex hacking things? And it was frustrating because there really is no formal introduction to any of the game's systems. Like, one of the things was I went to try to do a... One of the missions you can do is a criminal convoy where you have to fight some gang members. They're coming in cars. Yeah, basically you have a trail that you know they're going to follow and you yeah. set up a long some point above that trail and have to kill everybody. Yeah, so I, you know, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know how those worked. They just showed you the trail. They didn't really yeah. tell you what you do, to do. I didn't have all that many weapons. I think I had an assault rifle at that point. 
And I still didn't even know how the cover system in the game worked because they never formally introduce you to combat in the game. They just don't. It's just you kind of are expected to get it. And so I was just, I'm like, I'm, so I was like, can I crouch? I can't crouch. How do I, you know, what do I do? And it's finally I figured out, okay, it's basically, you know, Mass Effect style. Yeah, you yeah, press it's A to or yeah, button yeah. cover. Yeah. Right. Which, and it's, it's great once you get it. But I, again, I kept thinking, like, is it. Is it really this simple? And then I'm like, is the hacking really just... I just press square and these things happen and then... Well, some of you get a pretty shitty hacking minigame. Let's yeah. forget about that. Well, yes. And we get a, we get a shitty ha- hacking minigame here. But we'll yeah. talk about that later. So anyway, I just... Those first couple hours were frustrating for that. And then there was an hour or so of depression just realizing this was not anything we were promised, really. And I was like, it's just... I've played this game before. I've played a third-person shooter open-world combat game. What do I need this for? And I think once I got over that hump... Yeah. And I realized, okay... I cannot expect anything from the story and characters. I cannot expect this to be revolutionary. What I can expect is I can have this combat and I can have these basic hacking things that do offer a certain unique characteristic to this game that nothing else has. And we've got an open world Chicago that is a very good open world. And then also I started realizing, I started building my own character and how am I going to play this and how am I going to approach this as an open world game. That's when I started enjoying it. Like when I chose, how am I going to be a vigilante in this game? We'll talk about that later. I do something very disturbing with this game. Yeah, I know. But in any case, um, you know, then I started getting into it, and it just kind of snowballed, and I started enjoying it more and more. And uh, you know, I'm almost done with the game now, and I really, I really enjoyed it. I think it's got some of the best third person combat I've ever played in a game. Third person shooter combat. It's um, you know, I think overall this this doesn't. And as you all know, I don't love GTA Five. I think overall this does not touch you GTA Five. Fell in love with it, Tom. Uh, Never forget that. Shut Never the fuck up, that. Sean. If we had if we had recorded, here's the thing: if we had recorded this Watch Dogs podcast the night after I got Watch Dogs, yeah. I would have been giving this an F and hating it. Mm-hmm. That's you know why I. I Vow we're never going to do a review like that again where we review, we talk about the game at like after two hours of play. Yeah, well, these, never... maybe you shouldn't form a hasty opinion on things. Because it's like, I had absolutely, like, if you had asked me after I played Watch Dogs for two hours what I thought of the game, I wouldn't have said anything because it's like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't have no fucking clue what it is. Yeah, well, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so once I got into it, I, I think it's fun. I think it's got, what I was, the only comparison I was going to make to GTA Five is that to me this is a vastly more satisfying shooter and I think it's got better combat scenarios yeah, and shooting and things like that. So that's good. I think it's just, it's fun as an open world game. There's a lot of stuff to do. And just, I, you know, I think it's a really good game. It's unique in some ways. I think it's got a lot of flaws. It definitely, more than anything else, just has kind of a massive identity crisis and lack of central voice. But it is a fun game. There's a lot to do. And definitely ha- has its charms. And I think once you get into that and realize what the game is and what it isn't, and play it for what it is, um, I enjoy Watch Dogs a lot. And I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah. If you're playing an Ubisoft game now, Jonathan. Here. Sure. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> welcome it to is, the fold. Yeah. And, you know, I do... I hope Assassin's Creed 4 wasn't just some massive aberration. It probably was. I just... Like, I, I hope we get to Assassin's Creed Unity this year, and I hope it's at that level. Because at least with... I would the, not get your hopes up too high. Well, I'm not going to get my hopes up too high, but here's what I'll say is that, you know, Watch Dogs is a new IP. I can understand it having these basic Ubisoft problems. It's a new IP. Assassin's Creed 4 was the seventh Assassin's Creed game. You know, yeah, but it was it, like... You know, but Assassin's Creed 3 had... Probably like the biggest, like was the most similar to Watch Dogs out of all okay. other Assassin's Creed games in terms of like them just putting all these shit, all this shit into the game and not really it connecting and it not really understanding what it was in any way and it having some really good points, but it not realizing how to like fully utilize those good points. 
Watch Dogs is a lot like Assassin's Creed 3 in a lot of ways. Uh, we shall see then. But yeah, Watch Dogs is a good game. Yeah, it's a good game, but it is, it is definitely not a great one. No, and, not even. So people going in, because there has been a pretty negative reaction to it online, and I understand that, because people did go into it expecting it to be this great, super next-gen experience, and it's like you got a fun open-world game that could fundamentally have been done on the older consoles. It just would not have looked as good. Like, there's nothing revolutionary about it either, so anyone thinking about it being like, this intense next-gen experience no, it's not a, that game at all. I mean, of it is the worst-looking game I've played on the PS4. It just is. It doesn't look yeah. as good as... I mean, if you count out like the of like games. Of, like, yeah. games that, like, you know, AAA games that came out. Yeah. yeah, so AAA games, I mean, it doesn't even come close to... It doesn't even come close to Assassin's Creed 4 to me. I mean, the, the water effects... I think it that, looks... It, I think I like the style of Assassin's Creed 4 more, because I think Assassin's Creed 4 has more opportunity to, like, the open ocean is a lot more pretty but I think Watch Dogs is technically like more impressive to me than I just think like the texture quality and everything most of the time when I'm looking at Watch Dogs I forget I'm looking at the PS4 Hmm. I think it's got some lighting and color effects and maybe some draw distance that make it look next gen but I mean it's it looks like an old it looks like a last gen game just a little you should play the last gen version of Watch Dogs well, but it does not look like this. Uh, sure, but you know, I just that maybe that's one of the. How did Ubisoft with this much time to do Watch Dogs? It's not optimized for most of the systems it's coming out on. It's well, weird. I mean, I think like technically speaking, this game would be incredibly difficult to do on the last gen. Like, even though you say it looks like a last gen game, it does not. Like, it looks way better than this game has any right to like would on those consoles. Okay, there's also just a lot of stuff that it does do that like it's not revolutionary, but like the amount of destructible destructibility in the environment no, is I, not yeah. something you'd be able to do on the old consoles. It's okay. So anyway, let's move on. That what kind Steam of right? What kind of topics do we want to tackle with Watch Dogs here? Let's um, start. Let's talk about the story a little bit. Yeah, as much as one can. Yeah, so I mean, let, I should say. Is like I have played. I might have played as much Watch Dogs as you. I don't know because I've played a lot of Watch Dogs, but I am only like four missions maybe into act two out of like five acts so that's how I, they divvy up yeah, the story missions I am, yeah. so I am barely into the it feels like I'm barely into the story yeah and I am mostly done with the story I'm, yeah, I'm but I have been there. spent a huge amount of time just doing random side stuff that is by far what I've been spending my most time doing in right Microsoft. and I have spent and I think I've probably played it more than you because I have spent an immense amount of time mm-hmm. doing side stuff I've just also I've devoted a couple because the campaign is not long when I as far as I am in the campaign that's probably only three nights of playing mm-hmm. of solid playing like I, some nights I'll say tonight I'm playing campaign but most of the time I go in there and just stick around yeah so you know whatever but it's the story is I mean I don't even know where to begin. I, I think the first thing you notice right out of the gate for me is that their main character, Aiden Pierce, is almost aggressively boring. Like, Sure. Yeah, he's incredibly generic. Yeah. Generic, boring. The vo- vocal performance is a caricature. It's Rorschach. It's Christian Bale Batman. It's funny on that level, but not intentionally. Um, he's got, you know, the very basic archetypal motivation. His, you know, family was attacked. He wants revenge. Yeah. But then the basic story of the game is his family gets attacked again. And he wants... Revenge and to, to, to save them. So I'm not I'm not going into heavy spoilers with this game. I'm not going to sure. do that yet. Like I'm not going to give away any of the quote unquote twists. They're not good twists, but there are some twists. But basically, the story of the game is you. It's set up for you to think that this game is about you going after the people who went after your family. Yeah, and that's the whole first act is about that. Um, the first act is pretty boring, and I think the missions don't get good until the end of that act. But then Act Two, there is a glimmer of hope, and I think for about five missions in Act Two, maybe. Watch Dogs becomes a 
borderline interesting story because enough stuff is going on in Aiden's yeah. life and there's enough speed to which status quos are changing and alliances are changing and sort of friendships are being made that I was invested in the story. I genuinely wanted to know what happened next. And then you realize, oh my God, Watch Dogs is going to be one enormously long fetch quest. And that's what Watch Dogs becomes. It's you're, basically your sister gets kidnapped, your old friend is, is holding her hostage, and basically it's it, to get to saving your sister, it's like, okay, first I'm going to have to do this. But to do this, I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. Okay. And to do each of these things will require three other things. Yeah, so it's like this ridiculous like flow chart that gets yes. created of all these tasks, which is like the worst thing to do in an open world game because it very quickly becomes, I'm doing this mission, but I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. Like, yes. I know what... Technically, I know what technically is going on in the story, but I don't know how anything I'm doing is related to anything else that I've been doing in this game anymore. Which is like, it's really quickly sets in in Watch Dogs. It really quickly sets in, and the thing is, a good open world game can still have that and and and, and float on other strengths. Like you know, GTA Four has a part in the middle that is that where yeah. you are trying to do one thing and it becomes doing a million things. The difference is GTA Four has nothing but vibrant, entertaining characters, yeah. vibrant writing, really interesting you know um, dialogue and things like that. So you don't really care about that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in Watch Dogs, that's all there is, and you don't care about. A, fucking one of the characters so it just becomes this you know you're kind of just going through the motions and yeah I there are there are virtually no missions in this game even when I you know pay attention to the cutscenes which I usually only pay about 25% attention to the cutscenes in this game because there's nothing important being relayed but even when I do pay attention I get into the mission and I'm like how does this relate to what I was just watching yeah and I never figured it out so it's that kind of game the story never really goes anywhere. Once you get into you know Act Four and you're nearing the end, you realize okay, this game was never about him going after the people who went after his family. It's about he tries to do that, he gets sidetracked, and the entire game is the sidetrack. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I haven't finished the game. If they're if this is all just you know they're holding off on the big thing for a sequel, and he's not going to get his revenge until Game Three or something. Oh boy, I Watch Dogs One might be it for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of weird. It's it's. The story very quickly peters out. It has a you know brief moment of, of intrigue in the middle in Act Two, and then it just becomes a fetch quest. So, yeah, yay. yeah. The story is don't play the game for the story. But here's one thing I'll say: okay. a lot of open world games, again, you know GTA and some other ones combined, you know GTA Four, GTA Five, all the cutscenes are great. Mm-hmm. You're watching those, you're entertained. But then every mission in GTA 4 for instance becomes you drive somewhere you shoot someone you drive back and that gets wrote the thing about Watch Dogs that's great is though even though you don't care about the story I feel like the mission variety and the mission design is really good I enjoy almost every mission in this game and that's what's kept me playing the campaign is that I think the missions are fun and they're interesting and they have you doing fun things and using the game's mechanics well Um, the missions are good yeah yeah, I mean that is the thing is that it is fun to play. Like, the combat is good, the driving is good, like, the driving is not amazing, but it's good for an open-world driving. It's like, the powers are fun to use, it's like, it is fun to play, but it's like, I don't find, it's not, like, the, the strength that Grand Theft Auto has and what makes those games really great is that they are intensely immersive. And yes. that's what, like, that's how they are, these open-world games, it's like, you get invested in, you get invested in the story, you get invested in the characters, you get invested in the world, and the fact that the gameplay is usually really dull doesn't really matter because it's like you're still having fun just being immersed in this experience it's like Watch Dogs is a fucking video game like it's just a video game and I so you know you know me that I love role playing in games and getting really invested in like the characters and that kind of stuff 
no watchdogs it's like whatever if it's more convenient or more fun for me to just shoot a person as opposed to like peacefully subdue them i'm just gonna fucking shoot a motherfucker i don't care he's just like this doesn't feel like a real world i'm inhabiting these aren't like real people this is all just a fucking video game it doesn't matter i don't have to sort of invest myself on that level to enjoy myself i just have to have like this very basic level of sort of like satisfaction of like yeah, it's fun to shoot a dude. Like, whatever. Fuck well, it. Well, and I would say if you tried to do the role-playing thing of, like, what would Aiden do, it, the game would actively frustrate you because part of the problem with Aiden is that he is this very inconsistent character. Yeah, it's like you have He's, no idea. It's like, would Aiden kill this person or would he just hit them in the face with his baton? I don't know. And like, that's I actually, have no idea what he would do in any situation. That's really my only problem with mission design also is that the game is so schizophrenic. One mission will be you have to do this peacefully and stealthily. And the yeah. next mission will be... You have to. You have no other option. It makes you to beat the level. Kill all 30 people in this arena. And it's like, well, who is Aiden? Is he a serial killer? Is he a mass murderer? Or is he a you know reluctant vigilante? I don't know. And then every choice he makes in cutscenes is stupid. So like, it's like, if you have any ownership of the character, then he does things in cutscenes that just seem wildly out of character. He's so dumb. The plot is mostly propagated on him making dumb decisions. Yeah, yeah I mean, the entire... Because the, the beginning of the game, like what happens... Is his niece gets killed, and so it's like his immediate and his niece gets killed because Aiden is doing all this bad shit with like being involved with all the hacking, and it's like you have multiple cutscenes where it's like he has conversations with his sister like now and in the past at the beginning of the game where she's like you can't do you can't be involved in this shit because you saw what happened and he keeps on getting involved with the shit for no reason other than he wants revenge but it's like that doesn't. Like, you, you don't have any sort of concept about how he's even going about getting revenge. Because it's like, you have no idea what's going on. So it's like, there should like there should be no reason for the game to exist other than that Aiden is a fucking idiot and an awful human being. Because he's like, has no sense of priority and he just keeps on getting his family in danger. Even though the thing he's supposed to be doing is protecting his family. It's like, it makes the, his character motivation makes no sense. No, and it's just, yeah, so... In any case, as it, but yeah, it's the mission design is fun and you know all that. One thing I'll say about the characters. Okay, Watch Dogs is a thoroughly racist game. I don't sure. know if you've gotten to that yet. You, if no, you have no not idea. gotten far in Act Two, I mean, have you in, been introduced to Bed Bug and Iraq yet? No. Okay, you'll you'll see it. Okay. It gets there. Pretty. There are no there are no good black characters in the game. And by good, I just mean like morally good. Sure. Yeah. Um, and. One of the things you'll notice if you go around the city and profile people is pretty much anyone you see who has done something negative or will do something negative, they are black. Usually, yeah. Yeah. And yeah I, I did notice that. It's like there's, a, there's definitely it's disturbing. a disproportionate... Yeah. And I also think the game does a you know rotten job with its female characters, but then again, it does kind of a rotten job with all of its characters. Yeah. So, But it does, like, there is something that sort of rubs you the wrong way about it using this really cliche trope of like harming or like subduing like basically damsel distress trope yeah and it uses it twice like in five missions it's just like you don't there's no reason to do that like i have no like big philosophical qualm with the damsel distress trope when it's used in a specific story i think it's used too much but that has that's not a specific criticism to level at one story like whatever but it's like you can't use it twice like that's just weird like there's no reason like you don't that, that doesn't add to anything it doesn't like build on itself it just like makes you sort of step outside of it and make you realize that Aiden is an awful person because it's like he's the one who keeps on causing this to happen to all the people in his life it's like you can't stack that trope on itself it just becomes ridiculous I don't think there's a really weird thing with his sister Nikki in the early part of the game where apparently 
she is not grieving for her daughter. She is just trying to keep Aiden in line. Like she yeah, there is kind of a weird... She yeah. doesn't seem to give a shit. She's just like, it happened, but you know, Aiden, we just gotta move on. What mother in the world has that attitude when their daughter gets killed? It's like... But it's like, it's also it's sort of exacerbated by, like, at the beginning of the game, I have no idea how long... It's been like I don't eight feel, months. They, they like, have a, yeah, yeah. Like I, it's just like I because I'm sure they had like a little time thing, but I didn't know. I didn't notice it, and so it's yeah. like it kind of felt like it could have taken place right after. By the way, Aiden was acting, or it could have been like three years later. By the way, his sister was reacting. Yeah, his sister is like totally over it. Yeah, she just doesn't care anymore, and all she wants is to think about Aiden's health. You know, poor Aiden. But it's like. Why are you worrying about Aiden? Fuck him, he got your daughter killed. She's worrying about Kick Aiden because he clearly has, based on his voice, he has fucking lung cancer, probably, so... <laughs> right. You know, I'd be concerned about him, too. In any case, let's not talk about the story. Let's talk about the game and how we play it. So I, I wanted to talk about how I play the game. Sure, yeah. Because... You're, you're, you're monstrous, horrible human being, yes. Yes. So I've had a streak in games recently where I have not played games, you know, in the evil way. Like... The story on early episodes of this podcast... I'm sure we have listeners who don't even remember this at this point. Because it's been a while. But, like... Sean, you can tell the people how I played, like, Red Dead Redemption, for instance. No, you would find... Like, anybody or anything you walked up to, you would just mutilate it and kill it in the most horrific fashion the game would allow you to. You literally (laughs) sacrificed people at churches, for God's sake. That's not even something that ever happens anywhere in the game. You just elected to do it of your own volition. That is something that came out of you. That's not something the game prompted you to do. Right, and Red Dead, it's a pretty complex process to sacrifice someone at an altar. Yeah, the game doesn't, like... Like make that process simple, and, and I would ride across the whole map to like basically it was if someone like yelled at me or got really did something you know mean to me or like fought black, back or Jewish. No, not that. Or don't women. Don't put that on me. No, I know the way you really okay. play this game, Jonathan. Yeah. So in Red Dead, I would tie them up, lasso them, yeah. take them to the church, put them on the altar, and stab them to death. Mm-hmm. But you know that was Red Dead. Those were darker days for me. <laughs> I, I kind of. When I played the Mass Effect trilogy, I had I played Mass Effect 1 horribly, and then I had this, like, awakening with Shepard, and I became good, and I've played good games good ever since, and then yeah, I... Which was, like, a year and a half ago. Sure. But, and then I started playing Watch Dogs, and Watch Dogs just made me so angry, I'm like, I'm gonna be a bad guy in this game. Fuck it. So here's how I play Watch Dogs, and this is what got me into the game, is I picked a specific characterization of Aiden that I was gonna play, and this is how I play it. He's basically Rorschach, only more psychotic. So yeah. he is... He, he kills every criminal he comes in contact to. Nobody lives. That's that's rule number one. And it, all black people and all Jewish people. No, right? no. Stop that, game. Sean. Yeah. I don't kill Jewish people in the game. <laughs> I, I mean, I might. I just don't know it. <laughs> no. If it's not, the, like, the one tidbit of information I'm provided. Then, yes. Yeah, who knows? No. But in any case... So, yeah. So they all die. I will even go to the you know, extent of, like, if I'm doing a gang hideout mission or a criminal convoy mission, or in the campaign missions, nobody gets left alive. I never leave the map Yeah, I kill They them. all it's die. Like, they, like, give you... I don't... If it's cops, I don't, because it's like, that's like... Oh, they do. They Cops die. But just because, like, that seems like sometimes that would just make a bigger hassle. But I just do love in a lot of the missions, it's like, you can either leave, or you can kill everybody. It's like, you know, it would take me... If I go on this big car chase, it's gonna take me, like, five minutes. I can kill everybody in 30 seconds with my grenade launcher. Like, let's just get this over with. Game. Right. Like, who the fuck are you kidding? Like, come on. So I'm on that level. But then I figure, you know, I'm a vigilante. What's my actual, like, day-to-day vigilante existence? Well, Watch Dogs has this kind of goofy feature where you can use your phone and profile everyone, all the NPCs. And yeah, it'll so give it gives you... you, like, 
like one specific piece of information on them like they buy a lot of porn online that's a lot that's a lot yeah. you get a lot but yeah. or you'll get stuff like frequents racist blogs yes. or you know has been convicted of of child pornography or things like that mm-hmm. they'll be bad ones so I'll go into a crowd I'll profile everyone I'll find someone who I think deserves to die if there's an outright criminal like someone who had committed a crime or killed something like that they die right away but oftentimes there's no one that bad so then we get down to you know people who are racist who frequent racist blogs who or are black mean people. or Jewish? No, I'm just I know the way you think, Jonathan. I'm just trying to help. you I'm not racist. The here. game is racist. Sure, sure. Any you case, keep on saying that. That's Those kind of games. It's not you. It's games that no. makes you do it. Uh, so yes, so I do that. Kill those people. And then, if it's, there's nothing than that, then I get into the, just the thin the gene pool thing, which is who are people that annoy me? So vegetarians, vegans, and pescatarians are first on my list. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't target Jews. I do target born-again Christians. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know why. I do that. But like yes. people of like, do you, do you, are you classist? Is it like people of a certain income? Like oh, either well, are like upper I, class or lower class die? Sometimes. Like if I hack someone's bank account and it's a rich bank account and I get like 10000 bucks, I will then probably cap them, yes. Why? Is there a specific reason? Uh, you know, even out the odds. The poor shall rise, 99%. I don't think that would... Yeah, I don't think that would... Because especially if you're killing yeah. a bunch of criminals, like, they tend to come from lower socioeconomic classes because of various reasons that yes. our society just doesn't understand how to deal with it. And so you're actually probably, like, really helping, like, widen that gap and, like, really supporting the rich at the end of the day. Okay, you well, will. I'll kill more rich people now. Okay, yeah, at that least out. do that. Like, if okay. you're going to kill people, at least be fair. You okay, know, yeah. You know? So do that. And then anybody who calls the cops on me, I don't... Usually kill them if they're sh- close to me. Sometimes but if I just shoot them in the leg. Like oh me. no! Like if, those... I, if I shoot, I shoot to kill uh, in this game. But yeah, yeah. no, I, 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 I try not to kill random civilians. Sometimes, like very occasionally, I will. Like I, I was doing one where I was playing because like these, they have all these side things that give you little bonuses if you complete them. So I was playing like the game with like the three cups or whatever, and, like the ball. It's like you have to, like, it actually gets pretty difficult when you get to, like, the, the highest level you need to complete in order to get the thing. And so I lost it, and I was like, eh, fuck it. And I, like, exited out and just shot the dude in the face and walked away. Yeah, no, like, I'll do that. Um, and then anyone who, like... I only kill people who actually deserve it. I'm not a fucking monster. No, and if, I'm ever in, if I'm ever in a street and get hit, or if a car hits me on my motorcycle, even if I run into them, they die too. Um, but yeah, so I am a righteous vigilante. Yes, I, I am basically... I, you're not... <laughs> You're a mass murderer? <laughs> yes. There's a point at which vigilante is not a term you can use anymore, Jonathan. You're a mass murderer. The funny thing to me is, though, even if you played Aiden totally straight, you can't define him by vigilante either, because he's a selfish really. bastard yeah. just going after his own goals. Yeah, because it's like, that's a really weird thing, where the game does position you, and I thought it was like a cool idea at first, of your, like, cell phone Batman. You know, yeah. that it's like you're going around and you have all this access to all this information and it is an interesting question to ask. It is a pertinent question to ask in our society is that if you have this kind of access to information, then is it maybe the right thing to, like, you know, get yourself involved in that way and become that kind of vigilante? But it's like, that is not a part of the story, at least as far as I've seen, like, at all. At all. You literally start the game and he's already known as the vigilante. For some reason, it's like, but all you ever see him do in the story is beat up people related to either his sister then getting kidnapped or, like, his niece being killed before the story starts. That's it. Like, you see him kill and hurt people because of that, but you never see him get involved with, address, talk about, think about, 
like anything alluding to the fact that he has this whole vigilante existence that you supposedly are meant to be engaging in in your normal gameplay because it's constantly prompting you with, oh, there's a crime that is going to occur nearby. There's all this shit going on. You're supposed to be the vigilante. People call you the vigilante. You're the fucking vigilante. At no point in the story is he ever a vigilante ever once. It's a revenge story, not a superhero story. It would have been way better if it was a superhero thing. It's going to frustrate you more when you get to Act 4 because it gets even more uh, hypocritical in that way. Yeah, I, yeah, I imagine so. So anyway, yeah, so that's how I play it. I, I kind of, I went back to being insane in this game. We're on the level of insanity of crazy things I've told you I've done in video games. Does this whole thing rank? I mean, that's kind of like, if you really look at it seriously, it's probably actually maybe the highest. Because it's like, there's like, there's some sort of like premeditated calculation to what you're doing. Yes. As opposed to in Red Dead Redemption. Like, because like, I'm kind of playing this a little bit the way you played Red Dead Redemption. Where it's like, anything that happens in the game, like in front of me, that annoys me. I feel free to react to it in a very negative fashion in the way I wouldn't something like Red Dead Redemption where it's like, in my mind, John Marston in Red Dead Redemption is not a character that I'm engaged with that, so I wouldn't want to engage with it because, again, I was really immersed in the world and the characters and that and the story and stuff. And this is like, you know, if I'm playing this stupid fucking shell game that I don't even want to play, I just want the experience boost, that's it. It's like, I lose the game, it's like, yeah, fuck it, I don't need this, and then I broke out, I'm kind of annoyed, so it's like, well, f- I'm just going to take out my automatic shotgun, which is my new favorite weapon in the game that I bought, and I'm just going to, like, utterly destroy this this guy standing on the side of the street with a table with three fucking cups, because he fucking cheated, and I know he fucking cheated, so fuck that guy, and then <laughs> blow him away. That's All the right. way I kind of played the game. Yeah, no, I disturb myself with this whole thing. I'm but sure. I figure, you know, I'm righteous. I'm the hero this city deserves. And sometimes if I'm walking down an alleyway, I'll blow up a, like, a little steam thing on the wall and spray steam in someone's face just to be an <laughs> asshole because I think that's really funny. Okay. Sometimes I do that. Yeah. Sometimes I do that. But no, it's weird. Like, I, I again, it's just, I, I take it super seriously sometimes, too. Like, I will t- pick a park, I'll drive to, like, a park area or something. I'll walk around. I'll spend, like, ten minutes waiting and choosing. <laughs> and then it becomes this whole thing of, like, I have to have an exit strategy, too. So, yeah. There's there's one like there's one there's one weird thing. It's actually kind of a cool idea, but I've only ever seen like it's only ever been utilized really in one mission is where you when you're stopped, you can like uh, hit in your car if you're stopped you can hit I think it's the circle button and you can hide in your car like turn the car off and it's kind of like car stealth and they introduced that in one mission where you have to like retrieve and you this guy. never have to use it again. Yeah, and it was like I was actually kind of like. Interested with that system, I would not necessarily fully bought in, but it's like that's a weird, cool idea where it's like it's basically like a normal traditional stealth thing where it's like you have cars with like cop cars with like vision cones and stuff, and you have to take back alleyways and hide in corners and hide in your car. But, anyways, as this weird thing where it's like I was doing that and I was in that mission, and it was like I was hiding and I was like on the side of the road and doing that whole thing, and the whole animation. Where he turns off the car and he sort of slinks back in his seat and looks out the window really sketchy. It's like this woman walked by like this apartment and I just had this weird thing in my head. It's like, I totally feel like I'm stalking someone. Like everything about that animation is like, I'm stalking out like inside some woman's house. So there's an idea for you, Jonathan. If you want to take your transgressions further, further you can engage in that. Stalk people, hide outside their No, I'm trying to, I have. With your car. But here's, here's my whole view is that Aiden Pierce... You know, he lost his niece, so he is just angry at the world. He wants to make sure anyone... Yeah, well, he's is... lost his niece, so he's a really lonely person who wants to connect with okay. people. Sure. So, no, you but... can find ways to fit any sick perversion yeah. you want to into sure. the character, Jonathan. Well, like, yes, like, my idea of, of why I kill every cop I come into contact with is that he's also... He hates the government because they allowed this to happen. He's an anarchist, you know. 
bring down the system. So I let all the anarchists We're learning live. so much about you to you today, John. I don't think any of this. I wouldn't do this in real life. I yeah, just you don't dogs. just, you know, you don't hate black people and Jewish people. Of course you don't. You I don't. Why do you keep implying this? I do because not. you obviously, Jonathan, please. Please. Fuck you, Sean. Okay, so, is there anything, what, what else do we want to talk about with this game? Well, I think we should talk about some of the actual, like, side mission stuff. Okay, can do sure, not. right, yeah. Um, because and, that's basically, like, the game, basically, to me, is just all the side content. And I think we didn't we didn't really give, talk about why the combat is good. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's basically, if, if you've played the modern Splinter Cell game, Splinter Cell Conviction, or Blacklist, it's basically, like, kind of a dialed-down version of that combat with a slow-motion mechanic added onto it, where it's basic cover... It's a it's a it's a nice functional cover system where it's like you can move very smoothly between different pieces of cover, and then you have your hacking powers are kind of like while your gadgets would function in Splinter Cell, where it allows you to sort of like especially like hack like cameras and look from camera point of views or hack things in the environment to lure guards to places or blow things up to kill people, and so you can you know it's got that Ubisoft thing where you can tag people if you're looking at them through cameras or using your profiler on them and see them through walls. So it has all these mechanics like that in there that allow you to play the game in a very sort of cautious, stealthy fashion in which you, like, move around the environment, scan the environment, like, see where people are, see where things you can use are, and set up a plan and execute on it and kill people. But the game also totally allows you... Because you very quickly get a huge amount of weapons in the game, and you can carry every single weapon in the game on you at all times... That you can just go fucking crazy and kill everybody with a fucking automatic shotgun and a grenade launcher if you want to. And so, yeah, like, the mechanics are very satisfying, the, the, the combat's very satisfying. Although, personally, I think it has a lot of very interesting ideas in terms of the combat being a lot more like the Splinter Cell style that I wish, honestly, they went further with. Like, I think it's a really bad idea for them to let you hold, like, every single weapon in the game at all time. It's just like... I feel like I, and if I'm doing like a gang hideout mission or something like that, I feel like I have to choose to make the combat more interesting than it necessarily needs to be. I do that too. By yeah. playing the mission in like the sub, like optimal way in terms of like efficiency, but the most fun way, which is being more stealthy and using the hacking. Where it's like you could circumvent that so easily and just run in there with a fucking assault rifle and kill anybody, everybody, and have basically no problem with it, at least on the basic difficulty. Right. And I think one thing that kind of. Offsets that for me at least is that I think I every weapon I've used in the game I really like I think they're fun yeah they're all they feel different views, yeah. yeah and so but one of my favorite weapons in the whole game and the weapon I use the absolute most is the silenced pistol yeah yeah and so I just go into missions I always use the silenced pistol and it's like what I do is I'm going to use that and that's how I go through missions and I just kind of you know pretend that that's the one weapon I have yeah and I think missions are really fun like that and you know later on. In the campaign, there are a couple of missions where you cannot get spotted at all. Like, you cannot let them see you for a second. So, it would be a mistake. You really can't use anything other than your silenced pistol. That would be a mistake. And, and, and unless you didn't want to kill anyone and you just snuck through, but that would be no fun. So, those, you know, I think those are really fun. And yeah, I, there are some missions, obviously, where I just get to a point where... And, and I feel like I'm in character at that moment where it's like, I can't fuck around with this stealth shit. Assault yeah. rifle, I'm, you know, blowing through enemies. But, yeah, I, I definitely... I like just using some of the basic weapons, but then it's also it also is fun occasionally to do a gang hideout mission and just grenade launcher it because why not? Because there's only fifteen of them, and I don't want to like true. I yeah. want to waste that opportunity on one of them because because we should say we both agree that the gang hideout is like the coolest, the best thing in the game. Basically, they're like they're the just because it's like really concentrated, really well done. 
basically like the high like the gang things from Far Cry Three, just in this yeah. game. It's like they're really well done, a lot of fun because you approach them in so many different ways and be really creative with it. Well, yeah, and I mean they're. It, the combat is the best thing in Watch Dogs. Yeah. They are the concentrated burst of that, and they are the best combat scenario designed. So they are they're the best. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy the criminal convoys too. They're fun. If but you have really the short, they're short. If you have the grenade launcher, which um, yeah, that you can get really, quick. or even just right. like a grenade, yeah, that's basically take care of it for you. But I think there's a lot of ways you can approach them, and that's fun. Basically, you have this you know line that they're they're following, and you just pick a spot and kind of plan your attack. And I think those are fun. Yeah. But it basically just becomes every single time I get a truck or something and block the road and then just throw a bunch of IEDs down and then walk away and then everything explodes. It's like, well... Oh, I don't do that. I, I actively use my grenade launcher because it's fun. I mean, I sometimes use the grenade launcher. Yeah. I find it's more efficient to use the IED at this point, but like, I feel like I've done a billion criminal convoys at some point, so... Yeah. Um, what do you think about all the... They've got those fixer missions. There's like a billion of them. Some of them are interesting to me some and some of them are, are boring. They're, like they're, they tend to mostly be driving challenges, which are fine, whatever. Like yeah. I, It's a nice change of pace, but it's not... Yeah, they're not anything special. And it's like they're all these like different types of side missions that are all just under this weird label of fixer mission because I guess they came up with like seven different mission types but didn't want to have seven different icons. I don't know. Yeah, who knows. Um, as far as the driving in the game goes, I think the cars are really erratic. Sometimes they drive great, and sometimes they just do their own thing. And I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if it's a bug in some parts, but they will just they just kind of just slip out from under me and do their own thing. Yeah, to me, like the, the driving is totally serviceable. It's not like a remarkable part of the game. One thing I do really like is I like how destructible a lot of the like the stuff on the side of the street is. So yeah. it's like you know if you drive through like an outdoor cafe you drive the fuck through an outdoor cafe and there's just like tables and napkins flying everywhere like that's the most sort of next gen part of the game in a lot of ways to me is it's just like the amount of random little destructible nonsense you can hit with your car is really satisfying no it's good makes um, driving on the sidewalk a lot more fun but I, what I was going to say is I think the motorcycles handle great I love mm-hmm. driving with the motorcycles they're awesome I have no complaints about them and I mostly use motorcycles in the game Yeah, but it's, it's actually a similar split to me with GTA 5 except I felt the cars in GTA 5 were slightly more usable yeah and although I should say one thing that was kind of annoying is that I do I agree with you I really like the way the motorcycles handle and I mostly use the motorcycles also because Aiden's jacket is clearly specifically yes. designed to be used while riding a motorcycle but the only way to get the best motorcycle in the game is to complete this challenge where you clear out a table in Texas Hold'em and it's like I'm so fucking sick of playing fucking Texas Hold'em in these goddamn video games and they always like Far Cry 3 did it Red Dead Redemption did it it's like they always put something where it's like I'm, there's something I want to get in the game but in order to get it I need to engage with this stupid fucking Texas Hold'em game and it's not fun it's not interesting I don't want to do it but I want the goddamn motorcycle so I have to do it so fuck just stop it just stop putting Texas Hold'em in every open world game ever it doesn't need to be there, you know. I want, I want to have Baccarat in an open world game for once. Sure, just an obscure just card just game. Just backgammon, like let's just the Scrabble. Like there's so many other games you can just put in. I like, had fucking open world Monopoly for fuck's sake. I don't give a shit. Just it's got to not be Texas Hold'em at some point, you know. All right. So, I mean, what are your? Let's wrap this discussion up. Yeah, because there's not that much to say about Watch Dogs. Final thoughts on Watch Dogs. It's a fun game. I'm enjoying it. Like I said, it's exactly what I expected it to be. Like for like good and bad, and I'm having, I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's, it is something that I actually like, like having this game right now because it's something that I don't feel like I need to 
play really obsessively. I can just sort of pick at it, play it a couple of hours every day, and just sort of do a little side content and just sort of have fun with it. It's not something I need to get really involved with. And so it's like, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily want to play the best game ever or watch the best movie ever or the best TV show ever because that's almost kind of draining on you in a lot of ways, you know? So it's like sometimes it's nice to just have this thing that you know isn't that good, but you can just kind of have fun with it and just spend your spare time playing that and not have to think about other stuff going on. And that's what this game is to me. And, you know, it's as far as I'm concerned, it has an underscore in the title and it's the first game I've ever seen do that. So kudos. Okay. Yeah, I you know I basically agree with you. Um, I feel like I don't know how or even if I could recommend it at this point, just because it's it's going to do different things for different people. If you feel you know played out on open world games like this, Watch Dogs does not have anything new for you. Yeah, it's you know play something else. There's just plenty of other things. If you want a really good open world game, Infamous Second Son is still there for you to play. Sure, yeah. and it's vastly vastly superior to this in every way imaginable. Yeah. I agree. Um, but, you know, it, it's a good game. I do feel like, you know, right now for 60 bucks, I probably would err on go play a different, better game to spend that money on. There's plenty of them out there right now. Um, but, you know, if it comes down in price, if you can get it at a sale price someday, you know, it's it's worth a, it's worth a look. Yeah, I, I At think that so. point. Yeah. But, or if you haven't played it, just go play Assassin's Creed 4 because you get to be a pirate. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Better game. All right. So, Sean, I'm exhausted, but we have one more thing to talk about. All right. X-Men. Days of future past. Yep. All right. I want to talk about this movie a little bit, but before then, I kind of just because the X Men series has such a kind of long and convoluted history. Yes, it does. Let's and talk even more so now. Well, let's talk about it a little bit okay. because I guess I would say what my history with X Men is is that you know I don't really know it as the comics or anything. I've never read X Men comics yep. or watched the show. I just really know it from the movies. And you know, I started watching them when they came out. These movies have been coming out for most of my life at this point. Fourteen years. Uh, the first one was in 2000. So I saw the original X-Men. I've never loved the original X-Men. Um, and, you know, I went back and revisited it recently. And I, d- I would not call it a bad movie because I think some of the things that make it bad... I would call are, it a bad movie. Okay. I, don't think it's, I, I think okay. it's a bad movie. I, I think, think it's it, kind of secret. It's always been a bad movie. But I think it has enough good acting and, and decent characterizations in there that, you know... It's, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call it good either because I think it's got a lot of problems, but I also think a lot of problems come from the era in which it was made, the conditions under which it was made, and the fact that it I just... Know. Bad movie is a bad movie. Okay. And I just don't think it's bad, but I think it's, it's kind of... It's rough now. I really can't go back and watch it. Part of it is that it feels so immensely ashamed to be a comic book movie. We've just come so much further than that. But, you know, X2 blew my mind when it came out. I loved X2. I really thought it was a huge step up, and I loved that movie. And I still love X2. I, I, you know, I had, I had not watched X2 in years, and I guess I had kind of lumped it in with the original X-Men, but I went back and watched it, actually, the day I saw Days of Future Past, and um, X2 is still a really good movie. I think overall it's still the best film in that franchise up until Days of Future Past. It just, there's something effortless about X2 that X-Men didn't have, and it's really the, one of the only films in that series that feels effortless in the way it just, it's got a lot of characters, it builds an arc for each of them, it's got a, a fairly, you know, direct, simple story, it's got really good action sequences, things like that. I think that was a really good X-Men film. Then the franchise just went off the rails for a while. Uh, the Last Stand yeah. had some decent scenes, but mostly a wash. X-Men Origins Wolverine is as bad a movie as I've ever seen. First Class is really good, but also I rewatched that recently. Good God, is that an erratic movie. That has some incredible highs. And then it has every scene with the eponymous First Class. Right, yeah. And yeah, the charts just... 
the definition of dull. Yeah, and I don't like Kevin Bacon in that movie. I think he's miscast, so there's that. And then there's the Wolverine, and the Wolverine is really good. Yeah. It's got kind of a disappointing ending, but, you know, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. It's a good yeah. movie. Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from at it, but my specific reaction to Days of Future Past, which I'll talk about in a minute, comes from feeling like X-Men was this absolutely non-cohesive thing, just kind of this mess of a series. It had three movies I really liked, three movies I really, you know, didn't like, and it was just, it was, it was a part, it's, you know, I've been watching these movies since I was eight, but it was never like this series I, I felt like I really loved. Maybe I had some nostalgia for it at some points, but it just, it was, I kind of went to Days of Future Past not knowing what the movie would do for me, because I don't even know what my relationship with the series is at this point, because it's such a weird series. So that's where I'm coming at Days of Future Past from. Yeah. I guess I come from, from a very similar place, where I have read I, I mean I've over the years I've read quite a few X-Men comics but I've never been particularly into the X-Men I watched the animated series a little bit when I was a kid that's why I recommend we play the animated theme song on this episode because it's an awesome theme and I mean honestly probably my favorite X-Men thing is X-Men 2 Clone Wars on Sega Genesis which has nothing to do with with the Star Wars Clone Wars because it came out way before that but that game is awesome it's a great side-scrolling beat-em-up and I played that all the time when I was a kid. But it's like the X-Men in comics, like there are good X-Men stories. I've never read Days of Future Past. I've, I kind of meant to at some point, but I just never got around to it before this movie came out. Because I've heard it's really great. But like, I've never been able to get into X-Men comics. Because I think the X-Men comics have a problem that most of the X-Men movies do. Where there are too many characters and they don't have enough of a unique identity or personality. And not enough of them are interesting for you to latch on to. So it's like, there's just this big mush of, like, mutant superheroes and supervillains in the X-Men universe. It's like, I don't really know who they are. I kind of know some of them. I kind of know their power. I kind of know their backstory. But most of them I don't really fucking give a shit. And it's like, the X-Men mythology is so dense and it's so removed from the rest of the Marvel continuity that you don't get... Like, if you read a lot of other Marvel comics, you don't get a lot of the X-Men stuff. Like, the way... If you just read Spider-Man comics, you'd kind of know what's going on with the Fantastic Four, at least the big shit that's going on with the Fantastic Four, because it bleeds through. The X-Men are so separated, so their own thing. It's like, with X-Men... No, I like Charles Xavier. I like Magneto. I like Wolverine. I have an affection for a lot of the original X-Men and some of the stuff that they did with those characters like Cyclops and Jean Grey. But it's also, like, you know... 90% 90% of every X-Men character I could give less of a shit about. And so that's kind of how I feel about X-Men. And then the, the X-Men movies, I kind of feel the same way, where the original X-Men, like I said, I don't think it's a good movie. Like, it's whatever. Like, you know, you obviously have to do have to make concessions for, like, what it could do at the time and the era it came out in. But at the end of the day, if the movie's still not fun to watch. It's not fun to watch. And even as a kid... And I'm not saying it's fun to watch. Yeah, I... But even as a kid, like, when I watched those X-Men movies, I never really cared that much. I never really engage with them that much i don't remember ever like being into x-men or into the movies or into any of that when i was a kid it's like i watched them but it's like you know i did like i watched them but i didn't care like i did with spider-man even though you know i was reading x-men comics at the time i was watching x-men cartoons at the time just like i was with spider-man they never grabbed me the way spider-man did then x2 came out and x2 is a better movie i should re-watch x2 because it's been a very long time since I saw it, but I still, like, I remember it being good and it being better, but I don't remember it being that good, and especially the way people are talking about it now, where, like, like people are saying that it's, like, better than Days of Future Past, where there are a lot of people still saying that's ridiculous. That's the best movie in the franchise. I'm like, 
I don't even, like, I think First Class and Wolverine are both better movies from my recollection. Like, I would have to All rewatch say- the movie to make a stronger argument about it. But it's like, as far as my remembering how much I enjoy these movies, X2 is like just above X-Men and X3. Like, it's not out, out, out of that area. You All know? I'll say about X2, because I was surprised by my own reaction going back to it, is that it knows what it wants to do with each of those characters, and it treats them in a way that makes all of them uh, as interesting as they need to be for that story, and even above and beyond for some of them. I think Hugh Jackman's part in that movie is fantastic. I think more than anything else, they get Xavier and Magneto in a way in that movie where that's the movie where people have affection for Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in these roles, because mm-hmm. they are phenomenal in it. And, like, I mean, my one of my favorite scenes in the whole franchise is Magneto in prison, escaping. It's it, They just... It's, it's a better visualization of the powers and the characterization than a lot of the other X-Men movies. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes from. That's certainly why I like the film. Um, and I think it's got, it's got a much more consistent and cohesive story than I think any of the other films up to Days of Future Past. Even ones I ostensibly in some ways like more, like The Wolverine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the X2 pays off on its own story in a way The Wolverine doesn't fully. Yeah, sure. So, that's all. Yeah. So then X3, obviously, is not... Everyone was disappointed. We can yeah, move on. Yeah, not a good movie. It's like, I still, I still hate how they like they just wasted so many like they just like they finally got around to doing a bunch of like the X Men characters that I actually know and like like Angel and, and Shadowcat and it's like they're just such they're so wasted in that film it's like God fucking damn it or or fucking you know Beast is finally in it but it's like oh still it's like he's in it for like a scene great so then there's X three you know that's not a good movie I never saw X Men Origins Wolverine I never will because why would you why would you and Wolverine you know we talked about that on the podcast that I really like Wolverine I like we both agree that the the climax is very flawed and feels like it comes from like a bad comic book movie but the rest of it's great and Hugh Jackman has always been phenomenal as Wolverine and then X-Men First Class I basically feel the same way you do about it I haven't seen it since I watched it in theaters so it's like my thoughts I don't know are still the same there that I think like their uh, Xavier and Magneto stuff is fantastic in First Class like, a lot of the style of First Class is really great. Like, the time period and everything, they get that is really great. But it is the X-Men, the First Class themselves, where they picked characters from, like, the comic books that, like, some of them I didn't even know. The ones I did know were not represented. Like, like Havoc is supposed to be Cyclops' younger brother instead of his, like, grandfather. I don't know. Like, like the, the, your use of characters that I did know, they use them in ways that I couldn't bring my affection to it. Like, the version of Emma Frost is not anything like what I know Emma Frost being so it's like they didn't leverage on what little nostalgia I had for X-Men in that way and made really poor use of that but and it's kind of it's, it's the true of like all the franchise is it's like they've always gotten Wolverine really good they've, other than like X-Men Origins I don't know about that but like the I ones mean, I've seen yeah. they got Wolverine like Hugh Jackman's awesome and their version of Wolverine is really good it's like their version of Charles Xavier has always been very interesting and well acted and their version of Magneto has always been really interesting and well acted so it's like they've gotten those three characters which is like they and I think it's still mostly true of Days of Future Past like Wolverine has kind of a weird role in the movie but it's still it's Magneto and Xavier that are the most interesting characters and it's kind of like it's a it's it's fine but it is also a weird thing to me that that's so true of the franchise when they're not supposed to be like that as characters, like they are supposed to be these sort of, you know, Magneto is sort of the arch villain, but it's like Charles Xavier is supposed to be this mentor figure, and it's like they so over, like take over all the X, the actual proper X Men. Even Wolverine's not really much of an X Men when you get down to it. At the end of the day, it's just like the X Men feel like such a 
minor part of their own film franchise, but like I don't care that much about the X-Men in the first place, so I don't know how that's too big of a flaw. So it's like, I don't have a huge affection for the X-Men movies going into this. I don't have a huge, a huge affection for the X-Men characters, but I do have a decent affection for some of them. And I think X-Men Days of Future Past, just to give like a brief overview of my thoughts on it, I thought it was a really good movie that, that brought the good elements of the old films in, which namely you know, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, and obviously keeping Hugh Jackman in there, and paid off on... The best of first yeah, class. Yeah, on the best on the best of first class. Like it's it's basically a sequel to first class with this some future stuff in it. And it's like, you know, what's his name? James McAvoy is the guy who plays Charles Xavier, yeah. right? Yeah. Like he's he's back he's great. Michael Fassbender as Magneto is fucking so great. Good. Like they are really, really good in their roles and they find really interesting especially with Xavier, I think they find a really interesting character arc for him that that really sort of like makes the movie for me and so it's a really good movie i think it has some flaws i don't think the action is particularly interesting but it never has been really in the x-men movies it's like that's not the strongest part of the film but the character stuff is well done it's well shot it's it's interesting by it's like i'm not i'm definitely not as positive as you are not as positive as like a lot of other people are on it but i still think it's a good movie right um and I, I'll just say I was really surprised by my reaction to this because I wasn't surprised I thought it was a good movie because the consensus on it was overwhelming enough that I knew, I was pretty sure it was going to be good going in. Yeah. But, you know, a good movie and a movie that emotionally moves me are two different things. Yeah. I can watch a good movie and feel cold towards it. That can happen, yeah, you know? That's, yeah, that definitely happens. Okay. And and I what I felt with this, and I think the, the smart choice they made here, and this is what I said in my written review, my thoughts really haven't changed. It's the same thing I said there is that I think what they did here, and this is where they kind of... It's what they both needed to do with this movie, and they kind of went above and beyond with, because they've never tried this hard for me, is that this is the first X-Men movie that felt cumulative on things that had happened before. Yeah, Because sure. the, the franchise has operated in such fits and starts. You know, X-2 is a great movie, but it's not great because X-Men 1 laid the foundations. Yeah, it doesn't, like, build off of X-Men 1 the way, like, Spider-Man 2 really, like, sort of, like, comes yes. out of Spider-Man 1 and needs Spider-Man 1 to be as right. significant as it is. Yeah, and then X-3 just scattered everything to the four corners. <laughs> yeah, it did. And then, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine did the story of X-2 again, inexplicably, so that was weird. And then we had, you know, X-Men First Class, which was a prequel again. And yeah. then we had the Wolverine, but which prequel was prequel that, like, defied yeah. everything you knew about the quantity of the original series in the first place. Right, pretty much. You know, and so there's just, it's, it's never been cumulative. And yet, this is the longest-running superhero movie series ever. Yeah. yeah. Ever. 14 years. They... they Every other series would have been rebooted unless, five times. Unless by now. you weirdly and you could, I could totally see you making this argument. You counting Superman Returns as being part of the original Superman. <laughs> okay, franchise. sure. Unless but... <laughs> you really wanted to like push that, which you totally could. That would be like the only one I could see like you make. But even then, that's only five movies. Sure, this is you know seven or eight. Oh, now. like I was thinking longest running in terms of no, like true. Chron- chronology. True, yeah. no, and in chronology, yes, Superman Returns as Superman Five. I like that idea. Yeah, but yeah, I it's mean, totally like sure. it's a very long running movie franchise. But is it, is it fair to me to say this about X Men? Yeah, 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 totally with you. So, and you know, I have been watching them my whole life, and I've generally liked these movies. There have been the ones that haven't been good, but there's only the one I think that really offended me, which was X Men Wolverine. No, um, you know, I've, it's not. X-Men 3 didn't, like, offend you. It was that bad? I, I mean, it, did, it did for me. I mean, on some levels. I mean, they I, kill Cyclops in, like, the first yes, fucking five seconds of that goddamn movie. It's like, what the fuck? I, here's the thing, though. I grade 
the last stand on the curve of I have seen X Men Origins Wolverine. You have okay, not seen sure, Origins Wolverine, sure. but still, but you put yourself because X Men Three came out first. So put yourself okay, back sure. in the mindset of like, what the fuck did they do when they made yeah. that movie? No, I agree. That but, movie's really bad. Yes, it is really bad. But in any case, um, yeah. So I, I just. You know, why hasn't there been accumulation? It feels like after 14 years, you should be able to have some really emotional, heavy payoff, right? And I thought Days of Future Past brought the payoff that this series has been needing so long. So it's a sequel to First Class, and it pays off on the best stuff there, and that all feels so satisfying. As you said, Xavier's arc, good God, is that a yeah. phenomenal extension of yeah, where really we left Really good him. idea. Yeah. Especially by incorporating it with the Patrick Stewart stuff, and you like keeping in mind... Like where that character ends up being, it makes it really interesting. Like this idea of him being lost in that yes. way, like just so sort of distraught. I think oftentimes, you know, this is Xavier's origin story of how did yeah. he become the professor. Oftentimes, those questions are irrelevant, and we don't need to see them. They made it relevant here because to see how he would go from getting shot and betrayed by his best friend to being the man we knew in the original films, yeah. and, and a character who left a strong impression in those original films, mm-hmm. that felt cumulative. Because And so this is what I was going to say. So it's a good first-class sequel on that level, but it is also in that way, it is a sequel to the first three movies because that's also paying off on what we know about the Patrick Stewart character. Like, it is a payoff to that character arc of seeing what kind of... It recontextualizes him to see kind of what pain he was dealing with, what kind of stuff was in his past, what he overcame, who he is now, how he came to have some of these ideas. And then I think the movie... I, the best scene in the movie to me is when young Xavier and old Xavier meet mentally yeah. that is a just beautifully done scene and I think it really does feel like 14 years of storytelling are coming together there in old and young Xavier and these two characterizations we know each are stronger for having the other in this movie and that that's the genius of that's the genius of the movie I wouldn't it's not a genius movie but that's yeah. that's where the movie is smart yeah that's the really powerful. smart move the movie yeah. makes in taking telling a story because as we talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast about like these superhero movies that are coming out that on the face of it seem like they're going to be way overstuffed it's like you have to come up with a really good idea a really good angle at which you can tell your story in order to manage all these different characters I think a lot of the X-Men movies didn't figure out how to do that and this one does figure out a very organic and natural and intelligent way to incorporate all these different characters together especially the future and past versions of themselves and get them to interact in a way that makes the plot feel natural and smart yes absolutely and you know I think you get that with other characters too so like you know having the two Magnetos and having you know a scene of I, I think they do something really smart with the two Magnetos here where you have you know, a Magneto in the future who has finally overcome all his back and forth, back and yeah. forth, and he is he's willing to sacrifice himself, and so as he's lying there dying, I love the inner cutting at the end. Yeah. I, I you know, I don't know if the action technically you know it's yeah, not like, on because I've seen a lot of people saying it's like the action's really good, and I'm like, no, it's like it's a really well done scene, but the action's not good. It's really well done tension. Well and but and that's the thing that they're I think that's what they're going for. More yeah, yeah, no, I'm not but saying yeah. it's like it's not a huge complaint with the movie. It's something that's like I just I, I kind of want a little bit because like none of the X-Men movies have had particularly good action other than maybe Wolverine. I, I did think this had good action. I don't think the action itself was extraordinary. What was extraordinary about the last act to me was the cutting between past and future. Yeah, but it's like, to me, it's like, I don't even, it's because it's not an action scene. It's a, it's a dramatic, it's it a is. really dramatic scene. It is. So it's not action. It's just this dramatic tension that they yeah. did really well. So I wouldn't call it good action. That's okay, that's really fine. Cool. Um, people misusing terms. I, I would, like I think the term I used in my review was spectacle. I thought it was good spectacle sure. and good drama. 
Because um, he does lift a whole football field. That's, that's doesn't good. really need to. It's a kind of baffling thing, but he totally does it. But anyway, what I was going to say is, as we have Magneto lying there dying and, and you know making amends with Xavier, in the past, he is going full villain. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And it also... Well, I'll talk about my thoughts on Magneto later. The, the past Magneto. Um, sure. But, so I think they're paying off on that. And then I think... More than any, and so I feel like every since the main core of the story is about Xavier and Magneto, and it's combining past and future. It really does feel like the entire weight of the series is in this story because I think that, and I think the story even tacitly is acknowledging that this franchise has had good moments, it has had bad moments. These characters have made mistakes. These characters have made good decisions, and I think it's all kind of coming to a head here in that you have these old versions of the characters who have kind of suffered from a lot of bad things having happened. And they are sending Wolverine back and trying to influence their... This, it's, we're at this pivotal moment where, you know, we could go down the last stand path or we could try something new. Yeah. And I think because that weight is there, this movie has an emotional heft to it that I never thought an X-Men movie would have. And so I was just taken aback by that. I wasn't crying in the theater or anything, but I really... I was moved by the movie. I was invested in the characters. It And it, it just... It felt like, you know... Uh, not at the level of like a Spider-Man 2, but in that area where it's we're paying off on stuff. It's a franchise. It finally feels like a franchise. Sure, yeah. And I liked that. And, you know, I think more than anything else, though, Wolverine, I think they use him really intelligently here. And I, I don't know, maybe you have different thoughts on that. I, it's, it's like, true. I actually kind of thought that, like, their use of Wolverine, this wasn't bad, but it, it felt like he was mostly just a plot device in the movie to me. You know, this just like, it felt like he had nothing to do. Well, it's like the only thing he really contributed is like he said the message like that's obviously important then he told everyone about Quicksilver but it's like after that like you know he only has one other like he has two other opportunities to be useful in the movie in like the two kind of action scenes that they have but in one he gets a crippling flashback that prevents him from doing anything so it's just like he just kind of passes out on the floor and the other one he just gets pinned down immediately even though this is like he doesn't have the adamantium, so it's like the one time he can really fight Magneto, and he doesn't even really get to fight Magneto. This okay. is kind of like a you have this opportunity. We can finally see fucking Wolverine actually like your main hero character from the whole series finally fight the main villain character because every other time you couldn't have a plausible scenario. It's like you didn't even fucking you didn't even use it. Like the ultimate scene you got out of it was better. Because it keeps the focus on the movie on Charles and, and Magneto, but it is kind of like a... At some point, it just feels like Wolverine could have been anybody. Like, like they do... Since I don't... I mean, since he is, like... I see what you're saying with, like, the franchise you stuff. You haven't let me say what I was going to say yet. Well, but, yeah. I mean, but, like, if you're going to say it's like, he right. kind of needs to be Wolverine because of his, like, the way he's been used in the franchise. But in terms of specifically this movie, there's nothing about the Wolverine character that it needs to be him. It could be... That's it actually not that's not what I was going to say at oh, all okay. actually. So let me explain. Sure. I actually though I agree with most of what you're saying. He is he is not the focus here. Yeah. And there's a lot of oh, scenes where okay. he is not important, but that's that's the point. I think Yeah, no, here. that's fine, but it just let it me, makes it feel weird. Okay. okay. Sure. But what I was going to say is that I think that also is a recognition of where Wolverine has come. They have had he has been in every of the, one of these movies, even first class he has a cameo, which I like the callback to yeah. here. That was funny. Um he, you know, he's been in all of these. He's had an arc, and I think if you've watched them all the way through the Wolverine, his arc kind of climaxed. We we started out with him being very rough, very mean, very roguish, you know, not having friends or, or wanting to fight for anything. And he got to a point by the end of the Wolverine where he was at peace with who he was and what he had become. And that doesn't mean he has no character flaws or anything anymore. Yeah. But he was at he was at a point where he really could be 
a little more at peace with himself and at life. And that's where we find him in this movie, and he's doing what he needs to do because I think he has a sense of duty that is stronger than he's ever had before, and that and that feels like an organic payoff to what we've seen him go through in the in the series to me. Good but moments and bad. Like one of the things I liked about the Wolverine was even though they, you know, the last stand was a bad movie, they they did follow up on what happened. They didn't just sure, ignore yeah. it, they followed up on it, and as a result, Wolverine came out a stronger character from that movie for because of it. I think they follow that there. And what the role he's playing here is a role he could not have played at any other point in the series, which is that sure. he can stand back and be egoless and be the guy who gets the job done and continues to be kind of um, you know, self-sacrificing. What he's doing is very dangerous, and he could get killed at any moment, all the you know, time travel stuff. There's a lot of... And then at the end, we have you know, the whole scene of him getting you know, flooded down in the... Mm-hmm. You know, basically getting killed almost... And stuff like that. But he's just being the guide. And he is, you know, they have what, and I think what he thematically adds to the movie is that this is what Xavier did for him in the first film, in the second film. I don't even remember what their relationship is in Last Stand. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, Whatever. But, but, you know, this is the kind of thing Xavier would do where he would stand back and be a teacher to these people and try to help them find themselves. And Wolverine is doing that for these characters. He's trying to help them get into a place where they can do that. Um, But I think the real payoff for his character, he is in the background, though. Yeah. And that's the point, is that he's stepping aside and letting these characters, you know, um, drive the action and do what they need to do. But I think the payoff comes at the end where I really, really liked the ending more than I even more than I ever thought I could because I don't care about their Cyclops. I don't care yeah. about their Jean Grey. Mm-hmm, but I. I do care about Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. And I care about what he cares about because he's a good character. And that's one of the keys to good character writing is that you will care about what a character cares about if that character is worth caring about. And he has become that. So when you get to the end, and he's gone through absolute hell over these, you know, seven movies, Wolverine. He's been through the ringer. And in the and Days of Future Past, he kind of goes through it at the end again. Where he kind of um, is almost having to lay down his life near the end of the movie because of the shit that happens. Um, and he finally gets a fucking reward for everything he's fucking been sure. through. And that moment where he comes back and, and he sees Gene alive again. And he sees... You know, Cyclops alive again, and he's at a mature point enough that he's not doing a pissing contest with Cyclops anymore. And then they have my other favorite scene in the movie, which is his reunion with old with Patrick Stewart Xavier, and they're finally they're they're seeing each other as I think equals for the first time. Mm-hmm. That felt like the payoff to fourteen years of X Men. That felt like the I don't I, it feels like Days of Future Past should be the last movie in the series to me. Sure, that feels that's the end. That is the end of the movie is Wolverine. The end of the series is Wolverine and Xavier coming together and and setting out again to work as equals now and partners and 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 you know Wolverine having kind of accepted his place and finally getting some kind of reward for everything he's gone through and having some kind of contentedness like I think I I would if I were Hugh Jackman I would want to stop after this because that's the right place to leave that character if you've been playing him for 14 years yeah I guess like I don't disagree with anything you've said but I guess I didn't care about anything okay it's like that's all true but I feel like and it's like, like I said, like, I don't think, like, it's, I don't, like, my thing of, like, Wolverine just kind of feels like a plot device in the movie is not a huge complaint. It's just kind of what it is for me. But it's like, I, I do, in theory, I like the end of the movie. I like the last scene with Wolverine. But it's like, I so don't care about their version of Cyclops. It's like, I really like Cyclops, the character, but I don't give a fuck about the movie version. And I so don't care about movie Jean Grey. And I so have never bought the relationship between Wolverine and movie Jean Grey that's like, I don't know, like, like them, him waking up in like the, like the future world. It just felt like, oh God, he's waking up in the shitty X-Men movies because like all the people are back. Rogue is there. It's like, 
I feel like like it's like his character has had this arc, but it's like I don't really but I guess... like any of those movies, so it didn't do anything for me. Like it feels like that is something that is payoff for this franchise, but since I don't give a fuck about the franchise, I don't give a fuck about the payoff. Well, and yeah, and there's nothing that's just yeah. that's going to vary from person to person. All I would say about that is that I think. And, and I think they're wise in how they use Jean Grey and Cyclops in that scene, is that I don't care about them as those characters in that moment. Yeah. They are symbols for Wolverine's happiness and that he finally got something for himself. And not. But it's like, but it's something where it's like, I think those characters are so bad and uninteresting and so poorly done in the relationship, so poorly depicted, that I'm like, why would you care? Like, I'm like being like, Wolverine shouldn't care about them. Like, it feels like it's bad character writing that they've like had, like that's carried over, that's like his relationship with those characters is so bad that it's like, I don't buy it, so it's like I don't buy his satisfaction with it, I guess I would say. Okay. But again, I think the emotional centerpiece of that scene isn't him and Jean Grey, it's him and it's him and Xavier. Sure, but... And him and Xavier, there, there are a lot of great scenes between the yeah, two of them in the original films. Yeah, that's true, but like, I guess, like, the, the movies themselves aren't interesting enough to me that like, even though their relationship has been fine... Okay, that's fine. Yeah. So let's move on. Um, I want to say, I wanted to talk about Magneto and Mystique. Okay, in particular, sure. because I thought Mystique's a weird case, and we'll get to yeah. that. Um, I thought they did better with her than they did last time, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so Magneto, um, obviously, his characterization in First Class was fantastic. Michael Fassbender is so good. Yeah. I wish we could have a whole movie of him hunting Nazis. Those yeah. scenes are fantastic. Um, but the one thing they do in First Class, and it's a something, it's a symptom that every X Men movie falls into. X Men One, Two, Three, any of them that star Magneto, is that they. They, there's this line with a relatable villain where you have to give them enough sympathy that you can see that side, but they also have to be deplorable enough that you don't buy into the sympathy mm-hmm. 100%, right? Yeah. And Magneto has to be on that line. And I think they've always tipped him slightly too much into sympathy in some of those movies. Where like, mm. And it's because they depict usually the human characters as such fucking caricatures. I'm always like, sure, Magneto yeah. has a point, guys. Magneto... Well, no, but I, Magneto does totally... I think that's... I Actually, I like that. I think they do... But I think he has... But he has a point, and then I also think just sometimes it's like, it seems like everyone else is naive and not doing the right... At least Magneto's being proactive is always what I see. Yeah. It's like... No, but I think okay. that's, that's like, purposeful, because that's what... Like, that's the great thing about Magneto and Professor X, is that they are these, these figures that you see it, like, countless times in sort of, like, real-life civil rights movements, where you do have this schism about... You have your Charles Xavier-like people... Who they're more like Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, it's the, like we want to be peaceful. We want to find a way to adjust society and coexist in society without overturning everything and destroying everything. And then you have your more like reactionary, revolutionary figures that want to that want to overturn everything and supplant the system and use violence and and assert themselves in that way. And it's like every every civil rights movement kind of has that argument with itself. And both sides have their merit. And it's like you can. And it's like, it is not necessarily wrong to be on Magneto's side, I think. Well, and I, I, I think there are a lot of actually legitimate arguments where it's like, within the context of the, 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 the movies and the comics mythology, like, mutant kind is the replacement for mankind. It is the evolution. It is the next step. They are more powerful and more effective as a species. And so, in a lot of ways, mankind should kind of just... You know, bend over and take it. You know. Okay, but here's the, so I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm trying to phrase my point. And it's a complex one. Sure. It's just something I feel when I watch these movies is that the problem though is when you pitch Magneto as the specific antagonist of your film, and it's just I think there's a line where I I feel like 
I like how they use him in Days of Future Past, uh, but we'll get to that. I just thought when you watch First Class, his argument is so overwhelmingly better than Xavier's in that film because of what he's been through and what we're seeing going on in the world at that time that I think when they make the pivot and he becomes this antagonistic figure near the end, I almost... it's. It's they make that jump too... way too hard in first class. I'll, okay, like that, like when he becomes they sh- like that in a better like movie like franchise, that would have been saved for like the second movie where you would have been able to see. Because I agree, they don't. The hard thing about Charles Xavier's stance, it's like it's like you know, it's a metaphorical like tr- truth is that it's so much harder to see and it's a much yeah. harder thing to accept because it's not as evident. Whereas like the cruelty is much the cruelty of people like acting towards you know, gays or blacks or like Jews or any like minority group is so much more present and you want to react to it so much more violently that right. it's so hard to have the presence of mind to sort of see past it. That's like, it's it's such a subtle thing that it's so hard to do. No, and I agree. They, and they I, find a hard time but to bang it in the movies, I think. Well, but this is what I was going to say is I thought Days of Future Past had both characters dialed in right. Like, I thought you saw Xavier's heroism here much more than you have before because there's the specific arc about how can he become the guy who inspires people. Yeah. And that's, that's what you needed to see. And I think with Magneto, all I was going to say is that I think the choice they make that's really good is they keep up the sympathy with him. You keep seeing his point of view. But I also think you see why, in this hypothetical, you know, antagonistic thing, what he does in the last act of the movie, I like that they let him be the villain in the... In the uh, not in the sense that he is completely wrong, but that he has his ideas and he fucking goes too far. And, yeah, that's, it's, it's, and I thought that was a beat with Magneto that they hit better here than they often have in the past in these films. It's funny because I almost feel the opposite way. And maybe it's just because my I have like a different sort of desire out of the Magneto character. Because I think you're right for the movie. I think the movie makes the right choice in using Magneto in that way. But I actually kind of dislike the way they use Magneto in terms of my what I feel about the character. Is One, I feel like it's kind of a stretch for them like I don't quite feel like they needed to have Magneto like like in terms of like what Xavier needs to do in order to like get Mystique and all that stuff they don't like they don't come up with a good reason for why they need to get break Magneto out of prison it feels like they need to do it because you need Magneto in the movie it's like it don't I don't feel like the script has a natural reason for it. it's like we have to have Magneto there's no way we could convince Mystique they don't even try to find Mystique or talk to Mystique or do anything with Mystique before they like let's go break out like the biggest supervillain the dude who paralyzed me this feels like a huge stretch no I, I agree yeah. with that it was I didn't mind because we got Michael it's fine yeah, it's but. fine it's, it's something like it's something that, like the movie it's something that's where it's like it keeps the movie from being great to me where it has a bunch of little scripting problems like that where it's like it's not a big deal because it is something that needs to happen for the rest of the movie to happen but you can find a more elegant way in the script to do it but then later on I also think it's like there are a lot of different points where Magneto to me behaves really out of character in that it's like you know, when he chooses with Mystique to try to kill Mystique when they find her in that one scene, that is a really baffling choice to me, that Miss, that Magneto would not do that, because I don't think, he, like, I, you know, sure he wants to save mutant kind, but I don't think he would save mutant kind at the expense of a mutant. He would save mutant kind at the expense of every single human being, but I don't think he would ever sacrifice a single mutant for that cause. That, like, he is so for mutant kind... That the idea of like him killing Mystique like that to me seems really out of character. Okay. Like even for like how he's established in the, especially for how he's established in the movies. Because you're right, he's even more of a sympathetic character for how they portray him in the movies. So much so that in First Class when he becomes a villain, it is really bizarre. And then also, and this is one where it's like, I th- this is like a, probably my biggest scripting flaw with the movie is that they have the whole thing with the Sentinels and all that stuff, and and so they set up very specifically. You know, they have... I forgot what's the guy's name. The 
the guy who's like the guy who makes the Boulevard sentence. Trask. Yeah, Trask. He's he has the fucking thing that's like this is the the magic thing that allows us to detect mutants and and kill specifically mutants and this is this thing and then later in the movie they show Magneto sneaking onto the train that's transporting the Sentinels and he sneaks wires into the Sentinels and the wires go in to the specific thing that is the thing that makes its target specifically mutants and so he's clearly reprogramming the Sentinels you find out in the last scene that he's done that and so to me it's like the logical obvious brilliant fucking plan that Magneto would use is that if you want to stop the Sentinel plan, what do you do? You, you make them, it. yeah, you make them target humans instead of mutants. It feels like that was so clearly set up that when, and I thought it was such an elegant way to present it when he was sneaking onto the plane. I was like, "That's brilliant. That must be what his plan is. That's so genius. That's perfect." Even though, like, I didn't have the foresight to see, is like, how would you then do the rest of the movie? I don't know. It's like such a brilliant fucking scheme. Like, it would be the perfect way. Like, literally the perfect way to shut down the Sentinel program. And then it's like, he just goes fucking crazy and just starts killing everyone and brings a fucking, like, baseball stadium and, like, holds the White House hostage. And it's like, you didn't need to do any of that. Like, all you're doing is making it, like, you're doing the worst possible thing because you're making the best argument for why the Sentinels need to exist because it's like you're fucking attacking the goddamn president. But I think that's, and all I'll say about that is that I, you know, I, my only relationship with Magneto is yeah. Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender and the movies. And if he is an antagonist, and if you're going to keep using him as an antagonist in the future, if he is on any level of an, an antagonist, I feel like him overreacting in the way he overreacts works on that level because he doesn't go for the thing that would most elegantly and simply prove his point and save mutant kind. He wants to make, he wants to have people fear him. He wants to make the point. He wants to. He has some magnomania to him too. Yeah, but I feel like the way he's presented, like in in the movies, especially, like he's such a crafty motherfucker that I don't. Yeah. He doesn't have necessarily the degree of theatricality that a lot of times the character does. Even you know, he puts on the fucking cape, but like that's a baffling like that seems really weird to me that's like he seems so out of place why is Magneto the only dude who ever has a fucking costume on in these movies I like I, I, it's okay I like the Magneto costume enough I think it's fine it's but it's like it's really weird when it's like he's the only one and he has but again, easily like he the wants... most flamboyant costume but it's like it feels like that's not something the character would do it feels like he's wearing the costume because Magneto has the costume in the comics I think it absolutely feels like something he would do in this movie because he's been in prison for ten years he didn't get to make his point he wants humanity to know he's there and he wants them to fear him that's his motivation here it's like but like it feels like he's so you know he's so willing to sort of like I think be in the shadows for everything else that he's so sneaky and crafty about everything else he does there's no reason why he would make this ridiculously grandiose megalomaniac gesture of like putting a fucking football or baseball stadium circling the White House and holding the president hostage and like you know controlling the cameras and stuff like that feels so out of character okay it didn't feel out of character to me I thought it worked I thought it's it was like I think it's good... something that again I do think in the context of the movie, it does need him to operate in that antagonist scroll. Like I said, like if he did come up with that plan to stop the Sentinels, like the problem with that in the script would be that it's like it's a brilliant thing. It would be awesome, but then you don't have like a movie anymore because there's no thematic point to make with it. It's just like no, Magneto's a goddamn genius, and that's totally like the perfect thing to do. Like it would be bad. I guess you could have him fighting like with Xavier because Xavier's like you shouldn't be killing humans either. But even then, it would be kind of like a. Hard. That'd be a very hard point to make at some point. Yeah. So I don't know. 
Um, yeah, it's I not a say huge my... flaw with the movie. Like, I think I'm making it out to be, like, it bothered me more than it really did. But it is something that's like, like I said, there are a couple of things along the lines Here's my... Magneto that are scripting flaws. And I will say my one logic problem with Magneto, the one thing that does uh, bother me on some level, is that I think the action he takes in that last act is big enough that I don't believe... That they that... shut down the signals? No. Just because... Myst- I mean, and I thematically, I like the point. That it's Mystique's yeah. small act of heroism that inspires them and everything mm-hmm. and changes their minds. But... Small acts of heroism don't make the news. Yeah, and it would not sway. Like, you can see, it is such a ridiculous fucking thing he does. Like, imagine if that happened in real life, dude. <laughs> like, that would be the craziest fucking shit. There is no way we would not just destroy half the world in some crazed frenzy by launching nukes everywhere in some mad attempt to kill mutants somehow. <laughs> yes, you I know? know. Oh, well, it's, but, you know. It's fine. It's it's not the worst. Yeah, thing it's that not. Happen. It's not the biggest flaw. It's not Prometheus, but it's still no. it's still an error. It's fine, but whatever. Michael uh, Fassbender I, seems to be just getting involved with, straight, with scripts that have but, odd uses of his character. But hey, either way, can we? He's f- fucking phenomenal. Yeah, he's still. Movie. Yeah, he is great. Like every scene he's in is fucking incredible. Like I am, you know, I even though I, this felt like it should be the last movie in the series to me. Um, I, I do want to see more first class movies Yeah it's like, like I'm really glad that they're continuing With the old cast because it's like yeah. I do want to see what they're going to do with those characters Yeah I want to see more of McAvoy and Fastbender And yeah, yeah. And I, Hopefully I think... they can find you know Get like a younger like actual first class Like yeah. Cyclops and shit in there they, they, they have said that's their plan with Apocalypse Is that we'll meet young Cyclops and everything okay. It happens in the 80s It's yeah So it should be fun But anyway Let's talk about Mystique a little bit Because okay. I uh, When I watch rewatch first class I Mystique is a weird character in that movie. Yeah, especially if, like, she's just a weird character within the movie, but especially if you know the comic book character. Especially if you've watched X Men 1, 2, and 3. Oh, yeah, she's, that's a good point. I forgot. Yeah, she's they got, like, all over those movies, too. I they forgot. got Mystique right in Brian yeah. Singer's X Men movies. She's mm-hmm. actually a really. I watched, you know, 1 and 2, and even though I don't like 1, I like how they use Mystique every time in the Brian Singer yeah. films. Mm-hmm. He kind of. I think he f- knew how to have that mysterious, fun. You know, wily, you know, yeah, kind like of sort of silent sexy, character. but like dangerous and really scary. Yeah, character. she's a really good character in those. But when you get to first class, it's so she's not mystique at all. She's just yeah, she's just like really cute girl. She's yeah. like a teenage girl who has powers and she's really worried about them. And what's weird to me is that it's not a bad character. It's a well done characterization. It's Jennifer Lawrence is a good actress, yeah. but then she turns blue, and I'm like, that's not does not compute. Does not compute. This is weird. This is really weird. And and when she's in Blue Mystique stuff and she's giving, you know, monologues to Xavier, it's like, no, that doesn't, that's not right. She's yeah. just a weird character. And it's like, and for fuck's sake, her name is, is Myst- Mystique. The whole point of the goddamn character is you don't know who she is. It's like, she has been alive for like over a hundred years. You don't know what like she looks like, really. Like she can become anybody. She can do anything. You don't know like what her allegiances are. You don't know what her morality is. You don't know if she's necessarily a villain or she's necessarily a good guy. You have no fucking clue because she's fucking mystique. She's supposed to be mysterious. That's the point of the character. And it's like an X Men First Class. And in this movie, it's like you know everything about her. She's like the character. You know more about Mystique in these movies than you do like any other. Fucking character. Well, so here's here's what I want to say about uh, Days of Future Past. There are some things they just can't fix with this characterization because of who she was in first class. But I thought they did a better job with her here. I agree. What I would say is that, and where it clicked for me was actually in her first scene because that scene on the army base, 
that is a Brian Singer mystique scene. She doesn't talk until the very end. She's changing, and you don't always know if she's in a costume or not. What's mm-hmm. going on with that? She's do- It's very much like one of the Rebecca Romjan scenes from yeah, the yeah. first two movies. And it's a good mystique scene. And we get a couple more like that. She does not talk nearly as much. They don't re- usually have her talk while in the blue makeup. Like She's much more quiet. She's, she's much more uh, physical in how she moves and stuff. But they've also, you know, she she's still a character. It would be they can't just make her silent again, you know. Yeah. And I and I like again. I, it's weird because I like her characterization here. I like how she plays into the plot and stuff. But there are still some scenes where it's just like everyone's talking about Raven, and it's like Xavier, you never knew her in the original movies. Yeah. What are you doing? Like Patrick Stewart never talked about her. He never said Raven. I don't think he even knew Mystique existed. Yeah. So it's just it's weird on that level. But, you know, and I think, honestly, the biggest problem may be at this point, and this is a weird problem, I think Jennifer Lawrence, as good of an actress as she is, she's miscast for this. It's, I agree, yeah. She's... And it's not her fault, it's just, she's a really, like, kind of strong-willed, forceful personality actress, and that's why she's a great actress, but that's not who Mystique is. Yeah, it's like she, yeah, she, like she doesn't play this really subtle antagonist role, you know, like, no. this just doesn't, it's not right. Yeah. yeah, and it's again, it's not her fault. It's just it's a casting thing, and obviously for Days of Future Past, she had to be a big part of it because Jennifer Lawrence is arguably the biggest star in the world right yeah. now. So, yeah, that's you know, it's it's just a thing. But I thought they handled her better here. I thought honestly they probably did as well by her as they could based on where they took her in first class. Sure, sure. Um, it did not actively weird me out in the way it did in that movie. A couple of scenes maybe, but not overall as much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that fair? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That it's like. Yeah, they had already fucked up the character pretty bad in first class as far as I'm concerned, so they they brought it back a lot better in this one. Yeah. So, anyway, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here with all that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I want to talk about some of the visual design elements in the film. Sure. I thought it was really well directed. Yeah. I thought the cinematography was great. I thought, um, particularly, I loved how Brian Singer illustrated the apocalyptic future. I thought that was the a future cool... where it's always overcast and yes. sad and... I just thought it looked cool. There were a lot of cool visual design elements. The kind of temple where they, they send Wolverine back in time was neat. Yeah. And I thought... I, I did think the, the the one like straight action scene in the movie you have really is the early one where you have some of the, the mutants fighting the Sentinels. Yeah. I thought that was well done because if you sure. go back to the original movies, not so much X2, definitely X1. It creeps into X2 a little bit. You know, Brian Singer was still learning how to shoot action, and certainly the world was still learning how to shoot superhero movie action. And it's doubly tough when you have these mutants, and there's a million of them, and they all have individual powers. And so the original X-Men movies kind of always just grind to a halt when there's a new power. They stop, they display the power, and then they go back. This one, there's none of that. They, they, they show the power kind of through action. Power. It's yeah. very fluid. And I thought that first action scene was fluid and exciting and fun. And it's not... I wouldn't call it great. It's not, you know, yeah. something from Captain America the Winter Soldier. But it was good. It was the, it's, it's a good mutant action. That's sure. All like, I'd my say. only problem... And it's kind of a problem I have with all the, like, future stuff. There's, I have two really big problems with it. Is that one, it's like... It does the thing where it's like you have, like, half a dozen mutants. And none of them are, like, any real characters. It's like... Some of them, it's like, I don't even know... There's like the native, I think Warpath is named the Native American guy. I don't even know what his power was. Like, I don't know who he is. He never did anything. Like, he was just like a, it's just the Native American dude. He's just kind of there. But it's like they have all those characters in this, like, but they, they're just kind of there, it feels like, for that fight scene and to have, like, those fight scenes in the future moments. And they don't have any characters, even though they bring back, you know, some like Iceman and Colossus that were in the other movies. Like, I barely remember if what 
anything. Like, I vaguely recall Iceman and Rogue having some sort of relationship in the movies. That's, like, it. Like, I, they could have recast Iceman and I wouldn't have even noticed. They oh, they did, I thought they did decently by Iceman in those films. He's a big part of X2. He's yeah, it's like, character. I don't... They, like, it's been a while since I've seen X2, so I don't remember that much. It's like... But, yeah, it's like... It's just something where I don't... It's like it, it just feels weird that like all the actual action scenes where it's like there are people fighting in the movie all involve characters that have no development and I don't care about. Yeah. So it's like it makes it hard to get really invested in the fight scene. And something about like I really don't like how they use specifically with Colossus and Iceman in particular. They somehow find they with the whole premise of Kitty Pride being able to send people back in time inexplicably because that's not I don't understand how she can do that, but. Like, they find a way with that mechanic to show characters dying in horribly, over-excessively gruesome ways fucking twice! I liked it. Twice! And it's like, for me, it's something that... And this is, this is not just like... My complaint is not isolated to this movie, and I totally recognize that, where it's something that really frustrates me about superhero stuff in general these days. Is that it's like... It shouldn't have... Like, if I'm watching a fucking X-Men movie and there's like an eight-year-old kid in the audience and I start getting uncomfortable because of like the stuff that's happening in the movie and I'm like an eight like a six or eight year old kid should not be like watching Colossus get ripped into in like this incredibly brutal graphic fashion like that's not appropriate it's like it, that's not the way it should be like it's a comic book movie like it shouldn't you know it's kind of one of the things that I don't like about Man of Steel is it being that violent and dark it's like it doesn't feel like it has any sort of like joy or levity that's like it's a movie that I could watch with like if I went over like you know with I had like babysitting like six and eight year old boys I wouldn't feel comfortable watching this movie with them in the room you know it's like I don't like that it's something that comic books are doing with superheroes where it's like it's very they're very violent it's something that's been happening since like the 90s with superheroes it's like really violent really gory a bunch of like dismemberments and stuff it's like that's not it's like that's not what I want from a superhero thing is really just sort of like disappointing that it's like they don't again they don't just do it once they do it fucking twice it's like with the same characters it's like I don't want to see Iceman be melted or get his fucking head cut off that's not that's no don't stop well anyway I did like the design of the Sentinels a lot too in the future scenes they were cool villains I thought Um, and I and one other technical thing is is this is the f- this is John Ottman scored this movie, and that means this is the first X Men film to be scored by someone who scored another X Men film, huh. which is part of the re- reason these movies have never felt cumulative. Yeah, surprise, surprise! Days of Future Past. A lot of the accumulation comes from having John Ottman the sc- the uh, themes from X Two, which I really like that score. I recognize them immediately here. I l- the music in this movie is great, even if you don't recognize the themes. I think it's yeah. a really really good score. Um, so that's all good. But yeah, and, and I, I, I see where you're coming from with the violence argument, and, and yeah, I mean, it's one of those tonal things, just everyone's doing it now, though, it's... Yeah, it's just, it's just really, I just really hate it, it's like... Cause like well, it's like that sh- shot I, I mentioned, you know, with Gwen Stacy at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's like, yeah, it's, why did you depict that so fucking graphically? Yeah, it's, it's like... Way, it's just too much, it doesn't yeah. need to be like that, yeah. Oh well, in any case, um, what else do we want to talk about with this? Um, anything else with Days of Future Past? It's like, but seriously... How the fuck can Kitty Pride project people's consciousness backwards through time? Wait, it's, it's not. It's it. Ex- it ex- that's not her power. That's not her power. Like that's not even close. I know in Days of Future Past that she's the one who goes back, but it's like I can see her phasing herself through time. That is kind of related. That's like a natural extension of what her power could be. It's like this, like them meditating in this temple, and her like hands as the like power beams. It's like. 
That's not fucking her power. Like, if it doesn't need... Because you only had, like, Kitty Pride barely in X3. You don't need to bring... You could have had just made up a character that could do that. Well, I mean... I think they want to do that to honor the comic arc because she well, is... Well, big... th- th- but that's not what happens in the comic arc. Like, th- th- Wolverine's not the one who goes back in time, so... No, but, I mean, I just having Kitty Pride there, especially because she is a character who was in the series before, however briefly. Yeah, but it's like, it, to me, it's just a really... I it's don't... like It's confusing to me sitting there watching because it was like, what is she doing? How can she do... Like, this is not... And it's only because I know who... Like, if you didn't know who Kitty Pride is, you'd have no issue with it because they never tell you what her actual power is. They just say... It's like, oh yeah, I can send people's consciousness back through time. It's like... What? Like, like for me, it's like, no! No, Shadow Cat! No, you don't. You walk through fucking walls. It's kind of a different thing. I, I don't know. Is it really that much bigger a jump that phasing powers can be used for phasing through time herself versus someone yeah, else? Yeah, I think, it's, I think, I, I think like, the presentation is really different to me. That's like okay. like her like sitting and like projecting these like beams of magic energy into Wolverine's head and projecting his consciousness back through time. Okay. Also, it makes no fucking sense that Wolverine is the only one that goes back in time. Like they give the argument that it's like, well, he has the healing factor. It's like nobody else is, can make it, but it's like. But his healing factor just literally heals his body. Like, I don't buy that, like... I still think Xavier would be the one who'd most be able to mentally, like, handle the mental strain of going back through time. It doesn't seem... It's like... She says, like, your mind would snap. But the only way that actually makes sense for Wolverine is that if his mind literally, physically broke into pieces. And then it could come back together. Okay. It's like, they're just... Again, it's, they're not big flaws, but it's like... It's a bunch of little ones like that with, like, Magneto and stuff like that. It's like... Stuff that they just should have, like, figured out a better way to do it. You know? Okay. It's like... So, here's a question. Okay. While, while you're nitpicking the little logic yes. things. I mean, does it... Does it bother you that they didn't do any explanation for how Xavier's alive again? It's like, dude, if they didn't explain how the fuck First Class exists with those other movies. Like, it is... It frustrates me, but it's not like... It's just like, it's so far gone at this point. Well, it's like... It's like, the, the X-Men movie continuity should not be almost as difficult for me to follow as the X-Men comics continuity. You know? That should not be... Like, the X-Men comics legitimately have a more solid continuity at some point than these movies. Because they've been patched up so many times in the comics. It's like, the movies is just like... They don't have, since it's like, it's so, you know, rarely iterated upon that it's like you don't have this mechanism to sort of like fix all these little continuity holes. And it's like, I don't know what the continuity of these movies is at any point. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm glad they didn't do that because I just think, I, I like, I think that the beginning of the movie moves at a good clip. And if you stop yeah, to yeah, they shouldn't. That, yeah, I'm glad that they didn't stop and explain it. But it's yeah. like, but like it's, it's like, it's just a bad situation to be in. They made like, that's the best decision to make. But it doesn't make any sense how Xavier's. Well, and I think part of the good thing about Days of Future Past is that things are reset to a point now where going forward, continuity will not be this massive thing hanging over yeah, everyone's yeah. head. Yeah, as long as like you just have to, you can never bring back the other characters. Like you can't bring back characters from the future ever again. You can't do that. Because it's like, I, because now, based on the end of the movie, because it's like, because they make a huge change at the end of the movie, where it's like Wolverine gets picked up by uh, fucking Mystique instead of Stryker. So it's like, presumably, that means he never went through the Weapon X program, which changes, like, everything. Because the, the X-Men movies were all about Wolverine. No, none of the other X-Men movies happened. Like, yeah, they have been just debating can't this. have no. happened. So, well, even if, if you take Wolverine out of the equation... Uh, you know, Gene and, and Cyclops being there would be... That's more than just the last stand events. I mean, yeah, that's sure. a lot of stuff going so on. So it's like, 
yeah, so, but especially, like, Wolverine not having gone through Weapon X means it's like, he never would, I mean, he wouldn't know any of these people probably anyways, or at least he would only know them through completely different means, because it's like, he never would have gotten involved with the X-Men in the same way, because he would never have been in the situation he was in at the beginning of X-Men 1 if he had not gone through the Weapon X program. Like, his life would be completely different from that point on. Right. So and they like, do explain he, he retains his memories through all this. That was one of the things they said Yeah, the he retains, so. although that makes absolutely no sense about how he would lose the memories that his... Because a Wolverine existed and lived from the point in which he got picked up. And, and like, that all those years up to where the Apocalypse future would have happened. And, like, where that point in time where he wakes up. There is a Wolverine that obviously existed because everyone knows him. So where did that consciousness go? What happened to those memories? Why does he not have those memories? Because he would have lived through all of that time. That's true. It's like, the, like the, it's time travel logic that makes no sense. Well, it's the same but, thing as Back to the Future. Marty goes back and doesn't have... When he gets back to the future at the end of Back to the Future, he doesn't know. He, he's surprised to see the new car in the garage and all that stuff, right? He doesn't know what those intervening 16 years but are. He, but he, only... he literally traveled through time. Wolverine's consciousness got sent back in time. So he, I think that's a totally different situation where it's okay. like they're kind of like because they killed, presumably, they destroyed this Wolverine consciousness that existed in the past, which would have then made it so it's like, that's like a whole weird loop thing. We're, I don't want to... We gotta yeah, get out of but this it's like, But it's like, yeah, like the continuity of like the time travel stuff doesn't make sense. It obviously doesn't make... Like it makes... They, I think they made the best choice by like doing it the way they did because it gives you the sweet moment at the end where you follow the Wolverine character all the way through. So it makes kind of emotional sense if it doesn't make any logical sense. You just you know? described every time travel story ever written. Well, yeah, but I mean some, <laughs> but there's like degrees at which... Okay, I, I don't know. Do I, yeah, sure. But time... You can, you can have time travel make some degree of sense. It's like theirs was just like... You had to make all these sort of like bullshit concessions to like you had to just make up powers for Shadow Cat. You just had to make up a reason why it only has to be Wolverine that didn't make any goddamn sense to me. You make up some bullshit about like this time bridge that connects them just so you can do this thing where you have like the intercutting so you can have that tension in both the present timeline, like what you're showing and the future thing. Okay. And then you can have the whole gap. Like there's it's doesn't make sense. Okay. So let's wrap this discussion up. All right. You've sure. only shouted about the movie for fifteen yeah. solid minutes now. Did you like it? Let's remind yes, people. It's okay. a good movie. It's okay. it's a movie that has a lot of issues, but it's like it's still good like most movies have a lot of issues. It's okay. still a good movie. Alright, so most of those aren't issues for me. I really like this movie. Definitely recommend it. You know, not the best superhero movie of the year because Captain America Winter Soldier exists, but yeah. this is a, this is the best X-Men has ever been by a wide margin, I think. I think this is more or less true. Like, it's only real competition is probably Wolverine. Yeah, and even then, I mean, I think this is ha- ha- at least a head above that. I mean, it's, it's sure. more consistent. I think consistent I liked, I enjoyed parts of Wolverine more than I enjoyed any parts of this movie, but... Okay. Oh, like, with, I mean, we should talk a little bit, because it's like the thing that everyone's talking about in the movie is the Quicksilver scene. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I like that. I thought, I thought what they did with that was interesting because, you know, it's it felt like almost like the habit of the older X Men movies where they would bring in a mutant for five minutes and then bring them and then kick him off screen. But I thought they did a good enough job of establishing him as a character, establishing his powers, having a fun scene with him where it felt substantive, and then he leaves. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it was just this one-off cameo. It was substantive enough. The reason why he left made enough sense. And, and they didn't try to... If they had tried to keep him sticking around after that, he would have been useless for the movie. I so mean, I mean, he would have been, like... He's the most powerful fucking character. Other than, like, but, Xavier could stop him, but... But not. I'm not talking about on an action level. He has yeah, nothing but, to do with the rest of the story. That he would but, be, but they could have, like, been like, Hey, dude, if you stick with us, some seriously crazy fucking shit's gonna happen. But then you would have had to figure out every scene... 
what's Quicksilver doing yeah, in this? Yeah, scene? no, I'm that's what I'm saying. It's like they made the right choice to have him leave the movie, but I don't think that like the script has the it's like the same thing the script has this problem all over the place it's like it doesn't make any logical sense within the context of the film why they wouldn't just try to get Quicksilver to stay with him because he's so fucking powerful in this movie but how did you like let's just back yeah. up how did you like him in the movie I liked it yeah okay. I thought it was a good I thought, especially like you know obviously the standout scene where like he's running around and everyone's like it's from yeah. his perspective like that that's the best scene in the movie as far as I'm concerned it's really okay. really either that or like the climax scene with the intercutting those are the two best moments of the movie where it's like it's, it's so creative. It's really well done. No, I liked it. I liked Evan Peters in the role. I yeah. thought his visual design was kind of lame, but but like it, he's in that costume for like five seconds on screen, so it's fine. I just thought even like his like, hair looked really oh, fakey. Sure. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I and they've talked about they want to make him more of a main character going forward. I would like to see that. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's good. And and you know, I was kind of wondering before the movie came out because they showed they kind of previewed that scene in the trailer, like. I was wondering, why would they go to Quicksilver? Couldn't Wolverine just break in? I thought they did a good enough job showing how they all work together to yeah. do that. And, and it, since Wolverine doesn't have his adamantium claws, like he's the right. most powerful. Yeah. All right, so that's X-Men Days of Future Past. Good movie. Good movie, yeah. I'm done. Apocalypse. Yeah. In that happened at the end. Yeah, I, had, I mean, I don't even know who that is, so that it's, scene did nothing he's for like, me. But. Yeah, it's, it's one of, like, I think they, at some point they need to maybe, like, Put a little bit more into this post-credit scene, so it's like it's not my job at the end of at the end of all these movies to be like, okay, yeah, that's Apocalypse. He's going to be the villain in the next one. He's basically the first mutant, and that was him in the past building the Egyptian pyramids. I mean, I got that it was a mutant in the past building the Egyptian pyramids. It, but it, it took it, me a little bit. It was like okay. I thought it was like, is this some weird shit happening somewhere else in like the future timeline or something? I didn't get right away. That's like, oh wait, no, that's actually just Egypt. Okay, yeah. Well, anyway. Next week, we'll talk about something. We'll figure it out later. I'm tired. I need to stop podcasting. Okay. All right. So I guess this is it. This is the end. No, not the end of the... For today. Oh. Oh! Don't for today. Oh, okay. I thought you were like, I'm not done with podcasting. I also just literally said we're going to be back next week. Yeah, but like after you said that, you're like, I'm done podcasting. It's Jonathan. Just... If you say you're going to be done podcasting, just fucking...